Hey boomers, welcome to Sonic the Comic the Podcast, where we take you back into the 90s via the time portal that was Sonic the Comic, the British Sonic Comics. We had special Sonic comics here and they were better than yours. I think it's mostly British listenership. I don't know, but there's me. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right, we've got a guest this time. We're the Humes who think we're in charge. I'm Dave Bulmer. I'm Chris McFeely. And I'm also here. <laughs> yeah, this is our guest this time, Ewan. Tell us about yourself and why you're here and stuff. I'm Ewan. I'm a Canadian girl who makes video essays and other YouTube videos. I'm here because somebody commented on one of my videos that I should go on this podcast. Thanks to Riley Glenn, it's your fault that I'm here. So if I ruin the podcast... Oh, is that Riley? I think it is, yeah. <laughs> so I'm Ewan, I am Brightside Ewan on YouTube, and I do videos about films and such, and a good many of those are about Sonic. Yes, you've got quite a bit of Sonic content, haven't you? Mm-hmm. I've got a playlist. If you're a listener and you want to see my things and you're only interested in hearing me talk about Sonic and nothing else... Have you ever read any STC, Ewan? So, beforehand, I was an outsider. I am from both the wrong generation and the wrong location to have read any Sonic the Comic growing up. I wasn't full Archist, but what I remember (laughs) having as a kid were the odd few Archie comics, and then, like, they had the little digests like they do for Archie Archie. Archie Archie! Leave me alone! Mm, That's what they had. Oh, do you have some of them? Yeah, because that was, like, late stage Archie. That was right before they lost the rights. Yeah, they got, like, 25 or something something into that series didn't they they got a lot of those little books done. yeah 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 uh, i should have bought them they were nice yeah yeah they're they're nice little things and they always had weird covers but you were i remember you being an undergroundist oh yeah yeah <laughs> see okay it was like i i would search sonic into youtube because he was a video game character and thus i cared about him <laughs> but so it was mostly the 90s cartoons that would show up and then it would be youtube parodies and then it would be the other stuff such as like Amy Swallows Sonic, or whatever will come up when you type Sonic into <laughs> oh, YouTube. Oh, the other stuff, right. Circa 2007. <laughs> yeah, see, to me, the other stuff is Sonic Undergrowth. <laughs> yeah. that, that's what know? I thought you were going to say. <laughs> yeah, that, that's so far down the ladder, that comes. Yeah. But, so yeah, I hadn't read any Sonic the Comic, except for I read along one issue when you guys started this podcast, mm. because I thought, oh, the, well, the way to listen to this will be to scroll through it on my phone while I'm doing it. Turned out I just didn't do that for any of the other ones just because that's not really how I listen to podcasts. Like, I, I no. do it on public transport or whatever, so... Yeah, and you can't be, can't be seen reading Sonic comics on public transport. Like, I get that. That's, that's... No, it's, it's fair. <laughs> there was one or two issues of STCTP where I read the comic in a public place. Like, I took it to the cafe and was reading the comic there and taking notes. And I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not in a bit. Not take you back in time to whenever you used to do that? Well, I never used to go to a cafe to do it. You gotta deconstruct that. That's the deep-seated shame of being a Sonic fan. Yeah, well, it is. Yeah, Everyone I mean, feels that. We know that it's there. Dave, do not sit here and pretend you have shame. <laughs> I must have some shame because Suze Kempner has been on this podcast. We met her the other night in town because she had a gig and... She waltzed into a shop, a Tesco Metro or something, with her Sonic 1 title screen COVID mask on. And I've got that mask as well, and I've never worn it in public. <laughs> That's, listen, I have enough shame for the both of us. And if I had that mask, I would wear that happily. Yeah. So I don't know why that's your block. I don't know. I think it's too, it's too like, look! Look, look at the specific... If you want to make fun of me for anything, here's what. (laughs) I want them to have to work. Yeah, it's it's like if you talk to somebody and they say they really like Ghostbusters, you're like, oh, that's cool. But if you see a guy in an overcoat and a Ghostbusters t-shirt, you go, here comes one of them. (laughs) 
I've been there. I wouldn't have any problem with a Ghostbusters t-shirt, but if they were in full Ghostbusters kit, just not at a convention, just in real life, I'd be like, oh dear, what's going to happen? <laughs> They're going to bust some ghosts, that's what's going to happen. Yeah, we'll all be safe. should feel safe, yeah. Anyway, tell us about how you've been reading STC. Yeah, so... In the past four days, I've read 77 issues of this comic <laughs> in preparation for today's recording. Did you get to the end? You got through all 77? Yeah, I got through them all. Probably didn't need to do that. No, that's what I said. You and got them all. Fully up to date, full context yeah. for what we will find within yeah. this issue then. Uh, this is issue 77, 10th of May 1996, it says on the cover, but that of course is the take off the shelves date. Yes, it was actually released on April. April 27th. It's a good cover, but a seemingly quite generic one. No, that, no, it's funny. It looks generic. It looks like it could yes. be the cover of any old issue. Of any Sonic comic. Yeah. But actually, it turns out to be really specific. Extremely relevant, yes. This is a Nigel Kitching drawn cover. And a good one as ever. Yes, I love a bit of Kitching Sonic. He doesn't draw them enough. But what we have is Sonic doing a big thumbs down. And then in the background behind him is a big statue of Robotnik with a crowd of protesters around it, holding up signs that say, down with Robotnik, Robotnik out. Yes. And that feels like it could be, yeah, could be any old thing. But the content of the first strip is directly related to it. And Nigel Kitching draws another Sonic later on in the comic as well. So it's incredibly relevant, actually. The drawing fits precisely around all of the text, doesn't it? Well, usually whenever there's a free gift, as there is, come to it in a minute. Mm. Hold on, boomers, keep yourselves under control, we'll get there. They normally have some kind of design brief to leave space yeah. to fit the free gift in. So there's a fair bit of empty space off to the left of Sonic here. Yes, it does look a bit weird without the free gift. Because I don't have the free gift, I'm guessing you don't either, Chris. Yeah, you... Okay, did you search for it, though? No, because it's not an impressive enough free gift. <laughs> But what I don't have is I don't have it attached to the... Now, next issue, I know exactly where my next issue's free gift is, but we'll get to that later. Two new Sonic stories, Hidden Danger and Voice of the People. They're called Plus Knuckles and Shining Force. The strip along the bottom uh, says there's a Toy Story review, because that's right, we've got a review zone Yeah, reviews back. on this issue, yeah. With implications, I think it's the first it's of a couple. Kind of back well, for a while, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, Micro Machines 96 Q Zone. And then uh, the big draw for the cover, for any comic cover, of course, if you're a, a child rather than a grumpy old person who thinks comics should be more about the art, uh, is the free gift announcement. Listen, and I still appreciate a free gift, uh, even now in my old age. Not me. But it has to be like a wham bar or something. These free gifts, it's reminding me of like the things that are mildly exciting if you get them as a free gift, but then if it's like, oh, here's a loot crate and here's the extra bit that you get in the loot crate, it's like, oh yeah, I couldn't possibly care about that yeah no free it you understand it's free right yeah <laughs> i'm sorry it's hard to get my head right my archie comics never came with a free no that's a point they didn't the did they? thing that all american Quite comic right. buyers are missing out on the yeah. free gift yeah. <laughs> exactly but what's the free gift chris we'll find out because we're about to turn to the back page where we have an advert for the free gift yeah, the free gift is... Well, we, we learned about it on the next issue page, the last issue. Um, yes, although I didn't understand it then, and I understand yeah, it more seeing a this. a little bit more, right? Button covers. Yes. It turns out what they actually are is... Yes. They're the new free surprise toy that you get with Muller Kids, Kids Corner Yogurts. 
You know Muller Corner yogurts, everyone, grown-ups, right? Where you get the jam in a little pot in the corner. It's a square container of yogurt, and it's broken up into two compartments, one big one and then one in the corner. And then the one in the corner has, like, some fruit or some such in it. Yeah, it's jam, basically. It doesn't say the word jam, but it, that's basically what it is. Preserves. And then you just, you're supposed to, like, Take hold the, the corner, corner over, dunk it, it onto over, the yoghurt, and then eat it. But apparently, I didn't remember these, but apparently at some point they were doing something called Kid's Corner, where you got pot of yoghurt, and then in the corner pocket there was a little toy of some kind. Ooh. I don't know if this is the first time they'd ever done them, or... This was an era, wasn't it, where yogurt companies were trying to get in on the Kinder Egg model. You remember Frufos? No. Frufos were the best one of this. They were a round yogurt, fashioned after a flying saucer. And so you had a ring of yogurt around the outside edge, and inside, a full-on Kinder Egg-style toy of an alien. And you would, you know, you put it together out of bits and everything. Yeah, it, yeah. And um, I've still got a few of them lying around somewhere. The best one was one that was that was kangaroo style, had a pouch with a removable baby alien in it. It was flipping brilliant. <laughs> they did a very nice banana flavour. Well, any little Kinder Egg style model is good. Yes. Yeah. These unfortunately are button covers, <laughs> which are covers for your buttons. They're just a circle of plastic. Yep, just a circle of plastic that clips over your button. With some kind of groovy, snazzy message or drawing on them embossed. They've only they've pictured the same one, Crucial. That must have been why they had that image to <laughs> put on the next issue page last yeah. issue. Yeah. Crucial one says. I bet if we look at it again in the next issue page, previous issue, I bet it'll be all zoomed in and with an orange background. I bet it's just clipped off this. For Zoomer culture, this reminds me of when Crocs became a thing when I was a kid and they tried to sell us on, oh, the you, shoes. You, yeah, because they had holes in them, but you got little buttons of cartoon characters that you could put in them. But Oh, that's exactly the same thing. Yeah, so it's about right. And that sounds ace. I didn't know about that. I'd have been into Crocs if I'd have known. It sounds it. I don't remember ever considering even getting into it. <laughs> I was able to find some pictures of some of the other ones that were available. Yes, well done. You could also get ones that said Wicked, <laughs> Cool, and <laughs> Jungle. Oh, ju oh, Jungle! That one was new because Jungle music was happening, wasn't it? I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Did Jungle music happen? <laughs> yeah. And in addition to being red with blue text, as the crucial one shown here is, you could also get them yellow with purple text and pink with green text. I don't know if infinite other varieties existed, but that's what I have found. But the means that they have chosen... Yes. A truly bizarre advert. So it's... <laughs> right, the text says... On the planet of the trampolining centipedes, yep. collecting all 42 button badges means Jessica finally has something to show off about. I thought AI-generated text didn't <laughs> exist yet in the 90s. <laughs> and it's a cartoon of a centipede spread across most of the page. Which what it says is centipede trampolining. Trampolining. Wearing a big long shirt. With all the buttons on. With lots of armholes because they're, they're a centipede. And then it's buttons all the way down. I don't know what your confusion here is. That that seems to be the ultimate way to advertise a 42-button collection. Yeah, I'm sold. No, I count 41. I count 41 as well. Uh, Maybe they're allowing for the one button that's shown in the corner that's an actual photo of the button cover. Perhaps. But I think it's probably simply that they did it a little bit wrong. So, it's a centipede because they need a really long shirt to put mm. all 42 buttons on. 
But they also have to be trampolining centipedes so that their bellies are not flat against the ground. Oh, they need there to be trampolining go. so they're up in the air so That's you can see why. the buttons. What a! I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a journey to get there. But they it's a hat there. on a hat that one. Yes, and it's quite an appealing '90s style cartoon, isn't it? It's um, oh yeah, it's very yikes pencilsy. Yeah. It is, and if and, and that's our standard. If anything reminds us of Yikes pencils, then <laughs> it's therefore zany. the ultimate in design. <laughs> There's a fab button badge in every kid's corner yogurt. Collect all forty-two, and all you need is a very long shirt to put them on. And I say it's not to three sad onions there, just off to the left. Oh yeah. I was a very picky eater, and I would never go near yogurt. I don't know if button covers would have brought me around. Mm, I don't like yogurt either, no. I've been turned around on it. There was a summer where my mum said, try a bit of yogurt on some strawberries, and I did, and it was flipping lovely, and now I have a yogurt nearly every day. Anyway, button badges. Really, like, kids could go and buy a Kinder Surprise, and this yeah. is what you've got to counteract with. I looked up to see... They still make kids' corners today, <laughs> notionally, but obviously what is in them? Carrots. Well, I mean, no, but... <laughs> It'll be loot boxes, won't it? It's little cereal bits. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That's nice, though. It's more fun than a bit of fruit. Yeah. Any child will tell you that. <laughs> but it's like, there's one for girls, and they're little pink and white crunchy hearts. And there's one for boys. Can you guess what they might be, David? Guns. Guns and footballs. Footballs. <laughs> they're little footballs. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> the two genders. The that two genders. Hearts <laughs> that, and footballs. That is better than what they get here, though. Well, you can eat them. Because first off, they get this plastic button cover, which is nothing. And what they then... And this is what's unspoken here. An unadorned yoghurt. They haven't even got the jam that, that an adult gets. Presumably the yoghurt is flavoured in some way. Oh, yeah, it will be. I mean, there's a drawing of what looks like a little strawberry man on the box, and a good strawberry flavoured yoghurt is nice. Strawberry flavoured whole milk yoghurt with a surprise toy inside. The nicest children's yoghurt I ever had. Never mind your fiendish feet, never mind any of that. Or, I mean, I was... Fiendish feet is the answer, so you're wrong whatever you're going to come out with next. <laughs> but fiendish feet was the pinnacle of yoghurt technology. It was and it remains the pinnacle, but I was allergic to yoghurt back then, so I couldn't have any. So I don't know what it... I don't know what it tasted like. So taste-wise, the nicest one I ever had was the Winnie the Pooh brand banana and strawberry flavour, which I ate in my 20s because I was allergic to yoghurt when I was a kid and I discovered it in my 20s and I'm like, oh my God, this is delicious. And I constantly kept a stock of Winnie the Pooh brand strawberry and banana yoghurts. And ever since then, I've tried other strawberry and banana flavoured yoghurts, smoothies, trying to chase the dream. The Winnie the Pooh one's still on the shelves. I could buy them any time. I was going to say, I presume they're discontinued. Nope, still there. Well, unless last time, I looked they were still there which I suppose it was a while ago but yes I believe they're still there but I'm just I, it's that shame well, of we course, talked about you dare not buy no, them now no, no. because they might not actually be as nice as you remember and then it's all ruined or they might not let you they might say you're too old to have the they, Winnie yeah, the Pooh also they might just kick me out of the place or they might all just point they might you know form up in a ring around me and point and laugh at my sonic mask and my Winnie the Pooh yogurts uh-huh. and they'd be right because those are my preferences and I have displayed them. I was walking down a cereal aisle a little while back and realized that I still feel compelled to buy cereals that have nice cartoon mascots on them, regardless of what kind of cereal. <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> yeah. And like on that topic, this little strawberry man who does he have a backwards cap on? What's he got on? Uh, he looks I believe like he, he does. does. You know. 
well, I think sideways. it's sideways. Oh, sideways and with cooler. and with a little green tuft of hair to look like the little leaves on the top of the strawberry. Oh, yeah. strawberry. What a cool strawberry. Why why are they giving us a caterpillar when they have this cool strawberry? Well, I mean, yeah, give me quite. cool strawberry adventures. Strawberry yeah. couldn't get that many buttons on its shirt. Yeah. Wait, well, unless you can make them like the, the seeds, seeds yeah. yeah. Decorate maybe maybe that's another advert they have coming up in the in the secrets, you know. Uh, what the hell kind of shirt is he wearing? That's where the buttons go. No, nothing. He's just covering up his nips, his many <laughs> many strawberry nips. He can't have a shirt. His head is his body. Yeah, but then you know that there would be like a little um, safety warning on the ad, like you know, do not clip over nipples for the button. <laughs> yeah, <covers."> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many things have that safety warning. So many children lost too soon to nipple clamping <laughs> with Muller. Right, can we start this? Let's go inside on that note. <laughs> control zone. Yeah, Megadroid opens up the control zone by singing the virtues of the buttons. Are you wearing your free <laughs> Kids Corner button cover? On your nips. Thanks to the folks at Muller, we can all button up. <laughs> Wish the humes who think they're in charge would. <laughs> 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 Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I quite like that one. Actually. Yeah, it's actually quite good. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like the puns and metaphors are all over the place this issue. For a start, there's two brand new Sonic stories just itching to impress a tasteful Hume like yourself. So is it, are they talking taste because it's a tasty yogurt or is, or is it something to do with itching? I don't know what. But then we swing it back around to the sorts of puns we were seeing on the next issue page last issue. Do you remember? Mm-hmm. You're still demanding to see more of the cool blue one. So prepare for an uprising in the complete Sonic story, Voice of the People. Plus there's hidden danger lurking in a brand new two-part Sonic's world. All is far from ship shape in the ghost ship. Plus there's outrage to go with the uprising. But none of the other ones repeat that pun system in the latest episode of Shining Force. Yes. All over the place this way. He's not he's not even trying. <laughs> and then he just sort of says what's in the comic and ends with, excuse me, boomers, but uh, I'm being distracted by loud noises coming from outside the office window. It's not even the Humes returning from their lunch break. It's the Bring Back Porker Brigade protesting already. I wouldn't mind, but he's only gone to the floating island. Right, well, I'll have to go, boomers, seeing as I'm only calming influence there is around here. See you all in the fortnight when there'll be a favourite free gift for you. Terrific transfers oh. oh good i want to believe they got letters complaining about <laughs> porker yeah leaving already in the time it took this issue to go to press yeah definitely they must have done it was a big change it's yeah. nice to know that porker had that support and it's just nice to see this this copy this feels like megadroid and sometimes it hasn't done you know mm-hmm. i want to say and we can probably talk about it more when we get to the review zone but the line Anyone seen the computer-generated Toy Story film yet? Yes, I love that! <laughs> there's, there's a... That's just quaint to you, but that just makes us feel old. Yeah, oh, we yeah just... that's that's ancient history to me. Yeah, yep. but that's what it was. Toy Story was like, can you believe that weird film? It's done on computers, Made I think? on computers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just... Chris is, Chris is always keen to point out when it looks like I'm doing something else other than concentrating on this podcast. He'll go like, what, are you, noticed what are you typing? Well, I've just got... so. And this is going in the podcast, by the way. Um, right now, my wife, Abby, is currently at a convention in Birmingham, NEC. And she's just distracted me by sending me a photo. And I was about to go. And the text was just, Lamau. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to tell her, like, oh, I'm recording. Don't, don't text me right now. Until I saw what the photo is. She's bumped into one chop who's done our going at it animation. There you go. I'll put that on the Twitter. <laughs> Oh, it all comes round, doesn't it? It does! If you haven't watched Sonic and Knuckles going at it in a while, get it found. I was a fan of One Chop. I was a big fan of One Chop before he did that. So I'm like, <laughs> lucky you, you get One Chop doing your animations. That's right. Worlds colliding. Mm. 
That's also more Zoomer culture, though, because I know him because I was the age where Astiv movie was the thing as a kid. Speaking of being made to feel old, though, <laughs> I had not been paying attention to what issue number it was or what sort of time of the year it was. I know. Feeling three in 79, your favorite video game comic is three years old in two issues time. Two um, issues time, we're going to have been doing this for three years. This week, like I said, we met up with Suze in town and we were saying, when was, oh, Suze was just, re- she was on the podcast twice, once early on and one recently. When was that? And we were like, oh, it must have been, must have been the second anniversary. A year ago. Apparently that was a whole year ago. I, I, that. I can't believe... I don't know how to react to that. But if you think, like, that was the end of the Sonic and Knuckles saga. And that yeah. does feel like it was... Yeah, a bit. That <laughs> does feel like it was a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we both struck what I now recognise as old man poses at one time. <laughs> and you imparted it back just to rip the piss out of us. <laughs> no self-respecting boomer should miss this megatastic extravaganza. There'll be a free sonic spinner. Hey, oh, whoa, oh, hey. free sonic spinner. I wonder if it's the same thing again or if it's a different shape. It'll be another little frisbee, won't it? Well, I don't know. Maybe you never know. I know. I know they did multiple little Sonic Frisbees, so I bet it is. Three brand new stories, Return to the Miracle Planet, Tails, and Sonic's World, plus an Earthworm Jim 2, Q-Zone, and a chance to win one of many Sega t-shirts. I bet they're all extra large size only. (laughs) Plus loads more. Now that's what I call an excuse for a celebration. Is it? That kind of just sounds like the last few issues. That sounds pretty normal. (laughs) Well, it's it's uh, the third birthday. That's cause for celebration. That is. That is. That is. Or something. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, we said that last two times we never did. Yeah, but, well, the last two times there was this pandemic on that we weren't planning That's for or whatever we right. were getting. At least we sort of know where we're at this year because also yeah. we weren't paying attention and it's crept up on us. <laughs> <laughs> the charts. Anything in the charts? Uh... Well, I did spot one little thing in the charts. <laughs> Something that we've been completely obsessed with for about a year, you mean? Yes, yes. We've got the Mega Drive <laughs> charts, the Mega CD charts, the Game Gear charts, and just the, the Saturn charts. <laughs> the Saturn charts! It's finally here! <laughs> Speaking of Toy Story. They have kicked the Master System out and replaced it with the Saturn charts. Oh, I didn't even notice they'd kicked the Master System out to make room. Yeah. we still got Game Gear, so, like, same thing, but, like... Saturn! Alright, so here's the Saturn charts then! Roll it! (laughs) A sudden drop for Theme Park, down to number 10. Virtua Cops going down for a spell, to number 9. Hang On GP95 is hanging on alright, at 8. Falling from the heavens to 7, it's Firestorm Thunderhawk 2. Those worms are digging down, to number 6. Moving downfield to number 5, it's FIFA Soccer 96. A new entry flaps its way to number 4, it's Wing Arms. A new development at number 3, SimCity 2000. Virtual Racing 2's at a virtual standstill at 2, and... Sega Rally, no need, it's a non-mover at number 1! I thought that perhaps this was a case of like when the Mega CD was done where there weren't 10 games until just now. Mm, and that's why yeah. it's taken until now. But no, for the one of the three games that you knew existed, Panzer Dragoon is not on here. So there were more than 10 games for the Saturn by this point. Oh, God. <laughs> Panzer Dragoon's 
not even in the top yeah, ten. Yeah, exactly. Ungrateful buying public. <laughs> Been shoved that down their throats for months, and apparently no response. Hang on, do the arrows signify where they move in the chart? Because why are there arrows on the Saturn one if it's just started? Yeah, I know, that confused well, me because it's first. existed before now, it's just that they weren't printing it before now. Yeah, STC didn't have it, but like whoever... They were keeping it from you deliberately. Yeah, well, yeah, they were, and it's been yeah. weird, that's why we've been obsessed with it. I mean, I'm far more interested in the fact Sonic and Knuckles has climbed back up to number one on the Mega Drive It's chart. beat FIFA! Yeah. Hey! <laughs> I mean, I don't have a Saturn. I don't care about any of these games. No. I mean, I do, but the ones that I already had on things that aren't the Saturn. Exactly. This is <laughs> emblematic of a terrible, terrible shift. Mm. Where now the games that everybody's going to be talking about. Imagine if they had kept making strips about other games. They'd all be about stuff off the Saturn. He didn't care about I'd be well up for a Worms strip, though. I'd be up for that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think they would make that one, though. Because everybody knows Worms is old. Oh, oh, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Wow, there's not a single thing on here that actually really... Maybe Virtua Cop? I don't know. Maybe. (laughs) Get Mark Miller back in. Yeah, exactly. That's what they'd be forced (laughs) to do. Voice of the People, written by Nigel Kitching, art by Richard Elson, letters by Ellie DeVille. A crowd of protesters gathers in the Metropolis Zone to tear down a newly erected statue of Robotnik, and when the special Badnik service turns up to deal with them, Sonic and Tails arrive to beat the bodies and watch as the statue is blown up. The tide is turning on Planet Mobius. The people no longer fear Dr. Robotnik, and that's something Robotnik vows to change. I really like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this was a cracking one. With a title like Voice of the People, mm. I really thought this was going to be a jokey, one-shot, yeah. loose stringer one that was going to be about, you know, some kind of political debate parody or something. Or a pop singer or something. Yeah, yeah and, something like that, yeah. No, yeah, this really feels like after the... Uh, what's the skunk one called? Odor something? <laughs> the Odor Zone, yeah. The Pepe Le Pew one. That's yeah. what the title said. It just says, the Pepe Le Pew one. You can skip <laughs> this in brackets. Yeah. But... After that, it felt like we'd got to the end of the big epic story, and then it was like, oh, I guess we're back to just adventures, shenanigans. But this feels like it's taking hold again and going, no, okay, we're Mm. gonna make it feel like it matters again. And we're going, like, Sonic's video message to Robotnik, where he's taken a stand saying, okay, listen, I'm done with you, and the people are also done with you. It does feel like this is important again and it's building back up yeah like it's a little while still before we get in full force with the story movie as i say we're still going to be in one shot territory for a little while yet Mm -hmm. but the way sonic hacks into robotnik's private channel and says what does he say your plans have come to nothing your death egg was destroyed your metallics project flopped Mm -hmm. well that's i mean and it's it's a weird thing to say but that's everything Mm -hmm. from girl trouble back when the comic truly assumed its final form through to now it's been Metallics's and Death Eggs. Yeah. And that's what the comic... And well, look, there's no point, you know, relitigating. We've said multiple times at this point how The Return of Chaotix felt like so much of what the comic had been doing had been brought to a close by bringing it full circle and taking it right back round to the origin of Sonic again. And the question was, where do we go next? And although it will be the guts of another year before things come to their head in issue 100 this does feel like kitchen putting the stake in the ground and saying yes mm. 
here begins the march to issue 100 where we've found a direction for the comic again yeah. uh, much like you know introducing the idea of the brotherhood of metallics in issue 50 which then informed over 20 issues worth 25 a year's worth of uh, stories of the comic this feels like that's what's happening it's like he he realizes he's checked off the metallicses he's done the game adaptations he's looked back at his history of what he's done in the comic and he's like i went back to the origin what else did I lay the groundwork for right back at the very start that I... Mm. I mean, you must figure out you've done three years on a licensed comic, there's not much life yeah. left in it yet. Incorrectly, as it turns out. But what he will now do over the next year is to go back to the other two big things he introduced at the start. Robotnik takes over the planet and Supersonic mm. and uses them together to build to this finale. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't this feel like the first chapter in the third hardback collection or whatever, doesn't it? This is where <laughs> yeah. you lay it all out. Well, because what he's doing is he's using the medium that we praised uh, Lou Stringer for using a few issues ago, which is a sort of life going on as normal status quo yeah. episode, but yeah. with as was that one enough to it that it feels more than that and it feels bigger than that or or at least it makes that feel like a big deal in and of itself it reminds you that there is a status quo going on that is itself interesting but yes with this extra stake in the ground of like and something worse is about to come robotnik's gonna do something soon it begins here yeah uh, not to mention of course that as soon as you open it and you see richard elson's drawing yeah. it yeah. Textually, yes. this is just a story in which a group of protesters tear down a statue of Robotnik. Yeah. And we've had some silly little stories like that before, like the one with the convention center, the big yeah. Robotnik head-shaped building where there was a fake convention and they blew it up and it was like, ha-ha! And then, yeah, just like an issue or two ago, Lou Stringer's one where uh, it was like, yeah, we're gonna go blow up his computers or some shit. It's just that. But as soon as you see Elson's drawing it, no, I mean, Elson doesn't just draw these little footery fill-ins, you know, this this is so much more significant than you even realise until you've finished it and, and take it all in. It's nice, know? isn't it? The, the, the so lips good. on Robotnik are incredible. Oh my god, he's drawing the hell out of Robotnik in this issue. Look at Okay, that let's focus page. on this. As you open the comic, we are given a particularly good Richard Elson page, even though it's not of anything particularly exciting. It's not one of his splash pages of a thousand metallics. It's just Robotnik looking cross with Grimer behind him in his little studio, as he always is. But it just looks so good. The close-up of Robotnik looking cross takes up so much of the page. It's so striking. It's painted so well. It's drawn so well. And then and then the eye is drawn up again to like what is actually the first panel, which is just an establishing shot of Citadel Robotnik. But it's the best that could ever possibly be. Because something about the angle of it, it's like it's a really widescreen panel, even though it's only the very middle that's used for Citadel Robotnik, which makes it stand out. And all that billowing smoke around it. That looks billowing so smoke good. everywhere to fill up the edges of the panel. And it's almost in silhouette, but not quite. And the big teeth windows are, are really shiny. It just looks incredible, this page. That robot, it's Richard Elson plus, isn't it? <laughs> like, there's an extra dose of stylization and exaggeration yes. that even regular Richard Elson art doesn't normally have going on. The angles are sharper. It's the way the mustache is actually angled mm. upwards to contrast with the, mm, the downward yeah. stretch of the lips. So much harsher. It's just a picture of Robotnik looking angry, but it's so good. He's grimacing so hard that his face is kind of pulling in the directions that like an angry cat's face does you know when yeah. you see a cat snarling it kind of looks like that 
And the texture of the lip is so, like, slug-like, and the little lines indicating the texture of it. It's so unsettlingly realistic compared to the rest of it, but in a way that really works. He always so lovingly renders Robotnik's lips. There haven't been a huge number of them, but often enough, we get these close-ups of Robotnik, where he really gets in and does all the little textures and the little shinies and everything on his big, distranded lips. Yeah. Grimer too. I've been loving how they've been drawing Grimer lately. Not just Richard Elson, I don't think, but particularly in this one, they keep doing this stuff with all the like really harsh lighting on yeah. him. And the the contrast. oh yeah, the the, the bottom right hand corner of Grimer with very harsh lighting on him. He looks kind of scary there. Mm. Grimer's not looking very happy, is he? I don't mm. know why Grimer is so depressed in this episode, but he's very master. Someone is trying to contact on your private video link number, and he's pulling a little Ooh, um sir uh, um face. Well, I feel like it's he is scared of robotnik because robotnik is way more pissed yeah. than usual well that's true he's really getting yelled at i think he's in a throwing furniture sort of a mood robotnik right now this is when you have to worry he's kylo ren robotnik yeah <laughs> <laughs> mobians are looking really nice in this too the gang of protesters he's just rendering them really nicely the first time we see them it's on this picture with fantastic scale where we're mm. down among the protesters but still only kind of their head and shoulders and above all of that is this towering statue that has to lean back to fit in. It just gives the impression of, like, we need loads of space to show this big statue. And the rope, someone's, I guess it's the guy who's gone up yeah, to... Yeah, yeah, he's thrown a grappling hook up there and climbed up to yeah. deface it in some way, I guess. But we don't actually see him get to do it. And you can see the rope curling all the way down it, which adds to the scale. Mm. Someone's, th multiple people throwing bricks at it. It's great, this. It's, it's a really good look. This is like, um, they're taking seriously the concept of protesting a fascist dictator here, as Nigel tends to do, uh -huh. in a way that just balances just right that serious topic with being in a children's comic about Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, no, it is, I don't know how it played in the 90s, but it was definitely odd seeing yeah. a statue get pulled down and everyone being like, yep, that's the good thing. Yeah! So like, in yeah. Sonic, we're far past the days of, what did you call him, like, Labor Sonic? What was it? <laughs> oh, Lib Dem Energy Sonic. Lib Dem yeah. Sonic. Yeah, I'll tell you, you can tell it's set in the 90s, though, because of the defacing guy's jumper that's just got a schwa grey alien on it, which we just thought was cool yeah. in 1996. Oh, we were obsessed with them in loved the 90s. Them. Loved them. X-Files happened. Exactly. X-Files happened. We and, loved it. And then, like, in the periphery of X-Files, people got into, like, the 14 times and stuff. It's like, yeah, yeah, greys. And then 9-11 happened, and everybody realized conspiracy theorists weren't lone superheroes <laughs> fighting for truth in the world, and uh, that's why the X-Files doesn't work in the 21st century. Yeah. Can't have aliens anymore, can we? No. <laughs> can you imagine the uproar if they printed this as an IDW story today? Sonic pulling down oh, a statue God. of Robotnik. Jesus, yeah. And then they'd say, they never would have done this in the 90s. That's not my Sonic. Woke Sonic, it's so bad <laughs> now. Never would have seen Injecting it Injecting politics yeah. into it. Yeah. Then the SBS come in, and uh, I remember reading this once upon a time in the past and being a little surprised by their appearance, because yes. they're all uh, they're all yellowy, orange, goldy colour. Which we read as mm. Brutus's, yeah. don't we? Um, Brutus was a former SBS trooper, and I think that's why they've done this here. Because, oh. you know, they're saying like, well, Brutus was yellow and he was a former SBS trooper, so we've made the SBS yellow. But we know that the SBS weren't yellow we've met sbsers before and they weren't they were red yeah i, I assume brutus just got johnny fived up at the end he saved a town yeah. or something and they made him gold <laughs> well he had that super hard armor didn't he oh yeah that's right so that's why uh why that yeah but i mean they still you know it's still 
I prefer the red, honestly. You know, there's something... Mm. When you see a bunch of yellow guys all running around together, it's actually not nearly as imposing, is it? No, no. Yeah, they also... They've got that puff of smoke around them that's like they've just poofed in, <laughs> like, the vegan police in Scott Pilgrim. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it is? I've just realized it's the lack of cape. That's why they don't look as imposing. I was just trying to think there, if these guys don't look very imposing in yellow, why does Brutus? And the answer is... Brutus wears a cape. That is, that is actually yeah. the answer. I've just realized it. That's yeah. what it is. With the big shoulder horns of yeah. cape and everything, yeah. Also, these guys do have the vaguely dumpier proportions of your average trooper, whereas Brutus yes. was a tall, muscular, handsome man. That's true. But, nevertheless, it still tells the story right, because you can tell these are, these are the soldiers who have to turn up, and they just get defeated, but that doesn't stop them from being a bad thing. Yeah, Because that's the thing, you know, fa- fascist troops are chumps, and you should defeat them, and you can defeat them. That doesn't make them not dangerous. <laughs> I didn't realise until we were sort of like halfway through the fighting mm. bit that it's just Sonic and Tails. It's a Sonic and Tails story. Oh, you're See, right. You didn't even realise until right now. Yeah. No, well, no, because to me, that's that's what Sonic should be. Yeah. But you're right. Just recently we were going, are we ever going to see a Sonic and Tails adventure again? And then two came along all at once. Yeah. Oh, what a great <laughs> episode this is. Is that not Johnny there then who's given the text? No, that's no, the that, thing. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it is. But it took all of my mental willpower to know it isn't Johnny Lightfoot. And yeah. the only way it's not is that he's just got... Just because Johnny never has a scarf. Well, because Johnny would just be... They would announce that. Do you know what I mean? It would be yeah, clear yeah. that's who it is. The mm. only difference really is he's got a slightly different face. He does have a slightly different face. His eyes aren't right, yeah. I, I yeah. mean, and his clothes aren't the same. No, but they're so close. But he has been coloured with a red jacket and blue trousers, yeah. Yeah. And he's grey. He's a grey rabbit as well. So, yeah, that's just a rare lapse in judgement by Richard Elson. <laughs> because you see that and you immediately assume Johnny. One of the things from reading 77 issues of this in the span of four <laughs> days... I don't know if I wasn't listening hard enough or what. I didn't realise how big of a character Johnny Lightfoot was in this. Oh. And, like, how integral to the STC Freedom Fighter crew he is. Perhaps we haven't highlighted that enough. Because, yeah, Johnny, Porker, Amy, they're the gang. It's just that, God love him, Johnny is the other one. Yeah, he doesn't really do much. But, yeah, but whenever there are only five guys... Even if one of them is just the other guy, he's still going to be iconic. He has had some good moments lately. Like, I think it was the one before this where he struck a pretty dashing figure in one in one frame. <laughs> so that's the first time anyone on this podcast has slightly had the horn for Johnny Lightfoot, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> he just was. He just was hot, okay? <laughs> I'm sorry that nobody has been here to tell you that yet. <laughs> We are constantly having our horizons expanded about the true depth of goodness of this comic. And no, I never realised Johnny Lightfoot is a snack. Hot but boring. <laughs> look at how scary... We've just been talking about how like these are the dumpy, less imposing troopers. But look how scary you can make one if he wants. Oh, on yeah, the Fazak third panel, panel of the next yeah. page. Yeah, where Sonic's... So it's worth mentioning here, there's four tall panels with no dialogue, of just Sonic fighting these guys in different ways. And they're all really dynamic. Kind of takes me back to when he was fighting Metallics the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah, there's pangs of, like, 80s turtles. Yeah, and there's one where, one panel, the second panel of these, where he's spin-attacking around him and bing-bang-bonging off things, and the trooper is lit in such a way that the gold, as gold can do in the right lighting, becomes very dark, or, well, black, but with these gold and red highlights, and it's... It just makes the trooper look really scary again. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, it's very Judge Dreddy. 
Well, that's it, isn't it? That's where their whole aesthetic kind of comes from, really. No, Elson truly draws the hell out of an issue that, on the surface, is just a, a, a not very significant one-shot fillery sort of story. It's not, but on the surface, that's kind of the immediate read you would take of it. But he draws the living hell out of it. Look on the final page here. Like, so they blow uh-huh. up the statue, and then they like, and it's like, all right. I love that when the statue topples, the point of his head comes off as a separate piece. Yeah. <laughs> So then, you know, we cut forward in time a little bit and Grimer's like, the protest is over and your statue will be replaced within the week. Grimer's smiling for the first time in the strip. He's like, all right, we put down the rabble. The statue will be rebuilt. All is well. And then Robotnik wheels around on him with his fist and is like, the statue is irrelevant, Grimer. The point is my subjects dare to attack it. He grabs Grimer around the throat and literally hoists him off the ground it's possibly the genuine scariest Robotnik has ever seemed in the comic. Yeah, I think so. There's, the, there's a sense of like sheer physical intimidation Robotnik yeah. doesn't normally go in for. It's normally a kind of comedic or cartoonish uh, bonk, the subordinate type comedy. But here it's proper. <clears throat> the statue was a symbol of my power. Don't you understand, Grimer? The people of Mobius no longer fear me. But I'll change all that. By the time I've finished with them, those people will tremble at the very name. Dr. Robotnik. I'm worried. I'm afeard. Next issue, Life's a Gas with Amy. <laughs> it is also, it feels like it's telling you why it's important to pull down statues. <laughs> if you've been reading Sonic for long enough that you're used to him fighting robots and fighting machines and things, this is just reminding you, no, he's fighting fascists. Sonic is Antifa, and that's the premise of STC moving on. Let's see what happens in what is now going to be soon. Year, what, four? four. Of STC. The year four, yeah. Blummin' heck. Graphic Zone. Fit Zone. It's the graphics. <laughs> What's that name, Bomus? Sonic and Co., even Robotnik, are shown here getting minds and bodies into shape. And it's a, yeah, it's a fitness-themed graphic zone. And boy, that's tenuous again. Well, I don't know what, maybe, maybe two-thirds. <laughs> Oddly, we've got two here from different places in Wales yeah. that haven't supplied their names. They're uh, they're a shy bunch, the Welsh. Yes. The first one is, well, just Megadroid with trousers, basically. Megadroid with legs. Yeah, that's it. They've given him legs so that he can jump on a spring. The new Megadroid, of course. Oh, yes. This is not a fitness drawing, but I think that the editorial team have taken the various little things and bits and details drawn on his clothes to, as if they look like the sort of sponsorship patches that you get on sportswear. But they're not. They're just Megadroid logos. Yeah. And but buttons I don't and know, things. springing and trampolining, there's a trampolining vibe here. I think. Yeah, but that's just Sonic, isn't it, going on a spring? Of the various tenuous pieces of art in this graphic zone, I find this one the least objectionable. I had trouble parsing it the first time I saw it, because I was like, okay, so is he standing on like a rectangle that says spring yes. on it? But no, so the red thing is yes. the spring, and then they've written... The word spring going down twice next to the lines of him being sprung yes. up. 
and I kind of like yeah the sound effect spring yeah the other Welsh one is just Amy getting hench yeah Amy there lifting dumbbells nice drawing too yep she's got a crop top on that says coach and that background where they've whoever drew this must have used a ruler on that because that background oh, oh yeah yeah that's some real precise work though those lines it's just yeah. a diagonal striped lines but they're really coming in very neat to the outline of Amy you know we didn't have Photoshop layers back then no, folks you know, not didn't, didn't no, do this no. and just drop the Amy in on top no they had to draw this all by hand there's a couple of details of interest here intersecting her wrist on the left is some kind of a, a score line all the way down as if this is a folded piece yeah, of paper it makes you wonder folded, yeah. makes you wonder how big was this picture originally and look in the bottom right there's just the corner of something else a little yellow mm. something. We're missing a lot of the image here. So no name supplied if you're listening from Gwent. Write in and tell us what else was in this picture. And also, why is Amy wearing boxing gloves to lift weights? With <laughs> mm. Here, Amy, how do you lift weights while wearing boxing gloves? <laughs> uh, Michael Berry has drawn a, a deceptively difficult to draw yeah. picture here. Yeah, and like, it's bad, but I'm not going to get on his case about it. It's not easy <laughs> yeah, to draw. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's Robotnik playing snooker, but the perspective, is, like, it's not perfect, but for a child, it's like, holy crap, yeah, how yeah. did you even do that? Because you've got the angle there, you can see Robotnik's legs through, you know, through the underside of the table, there's a lamp hanging down on it, that's good work. But it presents the table as being neck high. E well, maybe Robotnik's just a little lad. <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> he does look like a little lad, because he's got this huge head that looks Such like a it's, big been, head. Yes. it's been drawn from reference, <laughs> yes. and then they've just drawn this little body underneath him. And yeah. snooker is barely a sport, never mind a means of keeping fit. That doesn't count as keeping fit. So, no, no, you, can, mean, you can be unfit and play snooker. Yeah. Well, it's worked. He, he's gotten the pounds off. He's got very trim. Yeah, maybe that's what they're going for, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> One from uh, Oliver Howell from Reading and Berkshire. I'm sure this is referenced from something and he's just drawn Tails' head on. But it's a yeah. uh, Tails as a basketball player wearing a green jersey that says Sonics 17. And uh, it just, I'm, I'm sure it's referenced off a photograph of a basketball player and they've just put Tails. In it, it must be because of all the details. There's something yeah. going on with what's drawn on the ball, but you can't tell what. There's... Something about the precise curvature of the shirt. Like it looks like he's lifting his right leg to step forward. Yeah, he's got, yeah, he's, he's oh, like yeah. yeah. I also definitely think Darren Jones from Moray in Scotland is referencing from life in his uh, rendition of Knuckles playing golf. His dad owned that golf bag and that <laughs> hat. <laughs> yeah, it's a photo of his dad that he's drawing, I bet. <laughs> There's something weird about it because the face on that knuckles is so good. I don't know if they referenced the face or what, but they've drawn the face too good to then have colored him in all red and it ends up looking <laughs> like this sort of interesting redesign of knuckles where he doesn't have the bit of his face that isn't red anymore. I think they have referenced the Sonic and Knuckles logo. Mm. Oh, possibly. And that's why it's all red. That's why he's got little spines. Yeah. Yeah, you could be right there. Just put the mouth and eyes on it, yeah. But he's got a funny little beanie hat on that says golf. And then his head is all bunched up weird. He's got a very tall head. If you took that headband off. <laughs> yeah, Sonic yeah. characters cannot wear beanie hats. It just doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> oh. And he's got a bag for his golf clubs that says mm. Willie on it. He's written Willie on his bag. <laughs> just Will, you rude boy. No, the, the Y's <laughs> round the other side. You can't quite see it, but it <laughs> says Willie. 
Michelle Roberts has drawn an absolutely adorable one here it's of just Sonic lovely. fishing. He's just fishing, just but he's wearing a little orange jumper and yellow trousers. But it's very adorable anyway. It's yeah. just the right amount yeah. of model to be... It's like a bod. It's like a bod <laughs> Sonic. <laughs> and then a very accomplished final drawing here from Alan McCabe in Wigan. I like this one a lot too. I, yeah. I think the Amy one is probably the best, but this one might be my favourite one. Where he's done them up as football. So it's Sonic stood there in a complicated, I'm going to say bespoke, but of course, what do I know, uh, football <laughs> kit that says, it's got a big lightning flash going all the way down the, the shirt and down the shorts, and it says Sonic the comic. He's grinning, he's got his fists out, he's ready to play football. Behind him, his knuckles stood there, also ready. They're all lining up to be on the team. Well, no, he's obviously on the opposing side, Dave. His costume's right. a different colour. Okay then, and it Come says on. Death Egg on it. Come on, sports correspondent. You watched a football game once. If he's on Team Death Egg, is this before he's figured out that Robotnik is evil, or Robotnik's the ref? So that, that does. You've stolen my chance to claw back my uh, respect from Chris because I, I did recognise that Robotnik was supposed to be the ref here. <laughs> that wouldn't have been enough. But <laughs> <laughs> after all these years, I'm still deep in the red. <laughs> no, I just love the premise of it. Like Knuckles on one side, Sonic yeah. on the other, Blue Kit, Red Kit, and Robotnik yeah. in the middle is the ref. That's good. And the football! Oh, this is the best detail. The best bit. This was what tipped the picture over the edge for me. Yep. The football is an Orbinaut, the Badnik, with no spiked balls with floating no around it. It's just the central it, circle Just a little cross-patched little lies. ball on the yeah. floor looking cross. I love that. <laughs> Problem is, Sonic's going to go to kick it and it's going to go... <laughs> <laughs> and a, yeah, and a, yeah. the whistle blows and out comes the little animal and the game's over. <laughs> and there's a whole background on this, you know, they're mm. on a field, which is a bit... Uh, to, someone needs to mow this field. It's not a very good football field. There's even a little trunk of a tree coming out of it. Stomping. Well, that's how you draw grass, isn't and it? And with the requisite, grass goes up to horizon, trees and bushes, mountains. That's how you draw a scene. <laughs> yeah, but there's a real sense of perspective. Really, yeah. I mean, look at the way that they rise and fall in the background. You know, it's not just a flat line. Yeah. There's a an undulating horizon. There's real artistic eye there. Yes, and even though three of them are standing at different positions, the horizon line, it doesn't go through their eyes, as you're told to do, but it's not far from any of them. Like, it, there's some real perspective work has been done here. Makes you wonder if this is a copy of something else. But it could just be a really good drawing. Well, that Robotnik is referenced from something, but I don't think it's any more copied than that. No, I think this no, is just a kid with either. a bit of artistic talent. Good one, Alan McCabe. The Ghost Ship Part 4 Written by Nigel Kitchen Art by Nigel Dobbin Our Letters by Our Letters No, 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 no. Let ours Let ours Yeah, okay let ours by Arletterfell at his hideout in Scourge Bay. Oh, I didn't notice it's called Scourge yeah. Bay. That's good. Oh, no, not Scourge. <laughs> Don't tell Ken Penders. <laughs> Captain Plunder provides Knuckles ancient documents about the floating island, as promised. Before he can return home to put them to use, though, Knuckles insists that they return to the ghost ship to rescue the slaves being held there. Plunder refuses and the disagreement quickly escalates into a brawl, which is broken up by the arrival of the wizened Zorbel, the Pirate Queen. Whereupon, the idol is remotely activated by the Tataror, and Knuckles and the pirates find themselves teleported into the Tataror's alien dimension, 
<laughs> You're going to lose yourself to the pirate voice before this story's over, dude. You get more and more committed every episode. So as usual, I love the R in the <laughs> uh, I mean, that's always the first takeaway, isn't it, though? Yes. How great it looks. Because it's actually all this great. strip is, is actually just sort of a four-page um, argument. Arr, <laughs> no, Nigel Dobbins' stuff is so good. Like, oh yeah, you, I, you'll have first seen him in the last four days, right? Yeah, yeah. And I don't want to diss the Sonic stuff, but the Knuckles stuff might be the most memorable stuff from what I've been reading. And I don't know how much of it is me reading it in an Idris Elba voice, but <laughs> it helps. it'll help. But the art is so good, and also Knuckles is just used in a really interesting way in these comics. Like he is off doing these side things that are not really the kind of things Sonic would do and he's not he doesn't act the way Sonic does so they justify him as like a an interesting character who isn't just red Sonic who mm. is more aggressive and all the way through it it's got this through line this thin strand of continuity of him trying to find out more get the floating island repaired learn more about his people but it's always just out of reach because Nigel Kitchen yeah. knows that's not his place to tell that story <laughs> the games might do that it's like here you know we open this strip with him getting these parchments that Captain Plunder promised you know Captain Plunder is not a man who usually hands stuff over <laughs> that readily so the fact that he gives him these parchments I mean I wonder now will these come to anything will this mean anything I don't know I'm very interested because hmm. I, I you know I never until we were looking at these stories now I never or really realized the way Kitching with these knuckle stories keeps making these moves to give the illusion of forward motion to keep that sort of ever present yeah. mystery just out of reach you know so I, I want to see what happens to these scrolls maybe they never come back from the Tantaroar dimension yes. you know, something like that you know they'll be lost forever I was a little disappointed by Simpson in this one just because I was so excited to have him back and then he doesn't really do anything he's just no, sort of all, there all he really does is he gives himself knuckles his fists in one panel i mean that is amazing and i love it and more please you know but is that the best you know he's standing there you know being a spectator to the fight and he gives himself big knuckles hands and jokingly insults the pirates who are trying to attack knuckles is that the best you can do and then one of them just just back hands him away button it simpson oh i didn't notice it i've only just noticed it now what when he gets belted in the face a big bling exclamation mark appears above his head <laughs> then he covers the bloke with the exclamation mark oh, in the oh, next panel oh, I thought it was a plank of wood I I, yeah I just thought it was a plank of wood oh that's amazing <sighs> that's exactly the thing I was going to say he should have done instead of hitting him with a plank because I just <laughs> I just thought it was a plank it's because the dash and the dot of the exclamation mark are one piece so you don't immediately notice that it's an exclamation mark but they're one piece because he has to be able to hold it to belt yeah. this dude with it. Don't hit me, you mean thing. <laughs> Tunk. I tell you when uh, Zorabelle, the pirate queen, appears. Mm. I mean, if she was not introduced by Captain Plunder going, Oh no, it's Zorabelle, the pirate queen. You would assume it was his mum. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because this is a Nigel Kitching strip with a yes. comedic edge. And we've had a couple of stories at this point. We have at least one. I'm thinking of uh, Sparkster. But uh -huh. um, there's definitely been some comedy of those lines in Decapitac as well. Whereas yeah, yeah, yeah. you would assume this was his mumbuckle noticeable. She can't just have the usual, you know, too scrawny, <laughs> not enough meat on her. She has to be a pirate, doesn't she? So what does that sound like? I'm pirate, pirate. So it's true. You have stolen the Tantragor idol. <laughs> Something like that. 
And then she's got her big Jeeves behind her. Oh man, her shit. lurch. Yes. Yeah. In a top hat and a black tuxedo and big a big top hat and a bow tie and everything. Yeah. He's almost like a zombie. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> she's in a sort of wicker wheelchair looking mm. device, isn't she? There's a real terrifying old matriarch type archetype playing out with this character. Mm. With her big googly eye. One big googly eye, yeah. One big googly eye. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned that sitting on her lap instead of a cat that an old lady oh, yeah. like her might have, she's got some kind of iguana thing. <laughs> Yeah. Well, you can almost miss that, can't or you? Or like a Komodo dragon, maybe, even. It's yeah. big, whatever it is. And it's just giving us a silly grin. It's looking out into <laughs> yeah, the camera and giving us this sleepy-eyed grin. Hello. And he only really appears in the first panel with her, doesn't he? So well, that's it, because she only yeah. appears head-on, full and proper, in that one panel. And then yeah. that's the last panel of the second-to-last page. And then on the last page, we just sort of see her in close-up and then at a distance in profile after that. Yeah. Oh, but isn't this bit at the very end amazing? Oh, I and, love this. Yeah. This is the point at which I go, like... I have fully stopped reading a knuckle strip and am now reading a Nigel Kitching pirate strip. And Nigel yeah. Kitching has always been good at pirate strips... Because it's not just pirates. They have a flying ship, what have you. And this is the next evolution of that. Yeah, and the crew is made up of a cartoon character from the 30s <laughs> and a ghost who he yeah. shot in the head. Who's... <laughs> it was his own fault for taking the extra biscuit. <laughs> so the idol activates. It took me a second to clock what had happened because uh-huh. I can imagine how this would work in motion. Because what essentially happens, we don't see it clearly, is like the idol activates and there's a perfectly spherical field zooms out of the idol and teleports away everything within the field. And that means a perfectly spherical hunk of the hillside, the cliffside, on which Captain Plunder's shack sits is clipped out as well. So it leaves behind this perfect, smooth, circular ice cream scoop out of the side of the mountain <laughs> and then we cut to the alien dimension of the Tantaror where this perfectly round chunk of mountain with a severed rope ladder and steps yeah. and the house just sitting on it just floating in the void it's so good and then this godlike strange being arms and legs folded floating you fold yeah. your legs you know what I mean like in a the yoga lotus pose. position yeah. yes just floating in this dimension gazing down on them with this look of judgment Oh, it's well good. Pi- if you're doing pirates, put them in space. Put them in the sky. <laughs> do mad sci-fi stuff with them, and it's automatically great. Like, there's very little about this conceit that requires there to be pirates in the story, but it's just making it yep. better. It just makes it better. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if Knuckles fought these things on his own. Boring, am I yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, he could do, but it, the, pirates... <laughs> Just as likely, you know, this is a sort of story that could have happened to Captain Plunder without Knuckles. Yeah. But it feels like it has more dramatic stakes. Yeah. Because it is actually a Knuckles story, Captain Plunder, that would only ever be a comedy. And this way, we get to have the horrifying presence of the old ones with the appropriate dramatic stakes that a Knuckles story enjoys. Exactly. So Simpson can bonk someone with a giant exclamation mark. Exactly. Well, you also get the sense that, like, it's Knuckles' responsibility to keep Plunder in check and make sure he's not going to ruin everything by stealing an idol that is cursed that he shouldn't have. Yeah, that's Knuckles' role in STC is to, like, begrudgingly sort people out. (laughs) He's just like, oh, he's, you know, he's a parent having to just babysit everybody because they keep trying to ruin everything. I'm just trying to do some home improvement. Would you all leave me alone until I get this place fixed up? 
I do a little bit wish they did some more fish out of water stuff with him because that was so fun in the Marxio Brothers one where he yeah. just has no idea what a carnival is or could be for. <laughs> yeah. I like that idea of Knuckles being so sheltered, but they don't use it as much as they could. No, wasn't it a highlight when he had his first go on a ghost train and he flipping loved, loved it? it. <laughs> yeah. I'm on, this is obviously supposed to be really trying to kill me. I'm going to just collapse the whole thing by punching it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, there's a naivety that goes alongside that in a depiction yeah. of Knuckles that I don't know how long you can keep going. You know. Yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. I'm so looking forward to seeing it on the big screen for an hour and a half oh, very soon. You know, oh, it'll I have happened so. by the time you folks hear it will, this. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I am jealous of you, listener. <laughs> Assuming you cared enough to see it, if you didn't... Well, I'm jealous that you have the option. If you're listening to this show, you probably I'm pretty did, sure right? anyone listening to this will be at least interested. Unless you're the sort of sensible person who isn't going to the cinema because there's a plague on. Yeah, yeah. We don't have that option. <laughs> nope, gotta see it. Content must be created. Yeah. Bills must be paid. <laughs> Next issue, The Alien Dimension. So, uh, I, I mean, I can't imagine they'll really be, like, revealing anything about the Tantarora. The, the grand unknowableness of them all seems to be the point. Mm. But I do, uh, the very abrupt introduction of Zorabel here at the end certainly implies there's something more planned for this character. I, I, maybe she'll be important to resolving it. Maybe she'll take in the slaves or something like that. Or maybe she'll just appear in future Captain Plunder stories. She, she doesn't seem like a one. She, she seems like... An addition yeah. to the Captain Plunder mythos, yeah. purposefully enlarging his world mm -hmm. for the future. It does kind of feel like they've designed the hell out of her with her Lurch, Jeeves, and her Komodo dragon. Like, that first splash page is like, here's a character that you should care about now. At the same time, though, what is she? Well, that's, you know, you ask, what is she? And I'm like, that's why you think she's Captain Plunder's mum, because she's the same sort of nondescript orcish fantasy creature as he is, just without the tusks. Mm. Um, and as we all know from uh, every video game that's ever played, the sexual dimorphism of the strange orcish fantasy creature is hideous, brutish man with tusks. And then the women are just, just women. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a black and white picture here filling the page, nearly, and it doesn't it look like one of those greetings cards that you That's can get? That's exactly what I was going to say. It's exactly yeah. that. Those greeting cards, those uh, posters Old that you can get. Old stock photo. Old stock photo. Comment. Comedic caption that misrepresents the nature of the <laughs> image's content for the purposes of humor. <laughs> Sensible <laughs> chuckle. Oh. And in this particular case, it's a photograph of uh, a lineup of children in the olden days in little cars that have been made for them. They look like little racing cars. Yeah, little, uh, little motor, motor carts or something. Yeah, you get the sense that they will work and that these kids will be able to drive around in them. And they seem to be lined up for some sort of a race and they've all got helmets on and they're looking in the camera, slightly perturbed looking. But one of them has had their head replaced with a silly sticker. Because this is an ad for the free frenzied stickers you can get in every pack of Round Trees Fruit Pastels. I got my pastels. Here they are right now. Yep, and they are frenzied in the sense that they are psychedelic yeah. colours and they've got explosions behind them and stuff. Yikes Pencilsy! Very Yikes Pencilsy! And this is a, a Yikes Pencilsy looking sort of square-jawed man doing a big shout with Crazy hypnotic eyes. Big Bart Simpson head on it. Yeah, that's right. He's got a zigzaggy top of the head. I didn't even notice that. And there's... Oh, free frenzied... Oh, I didn't notice this. Free frenzied sticker with every pack. Six 
to yes, collect in six all. To collect. The way these worked it's was they were uh, just stuck inside the wrapper uh, on a tube of fruit pastels. So you right. unfurled the wrapper and then you could peel the sticker mm. off the inside. You can see on the packet it says uh, there's one example on the packet that's uh, Fruit Frantic, which is a guy. Mm. With big stretch again, with a big Bart Simpson jaggy head on him. So maybe yeah. this is the case of all of them. Not sure. He's just sort of leaping out of a bullseye, going Aah! his tongue stretching yeah. out of his mouth. Then you've got this other one. Well, I've got I've found a picture of the wrapper here. Well done. And uh, the six stickers you could collect were Loopy Lime, Fruit Frantic, Black Current Blast, Get Fruity, Ranting Raspberry. And tingle tongue taste. Right. Don't uh, miss out on the frenzied fruit creas and start collecting your limited edition stickers now. Hurry while stock lasts. Watch out when opening this packet. Slide your finger along the flap and discover your sticker on the inside. This particular listing has the loopy lime sticker. And it's, um, again, a Bart Simpson jaggy head fella. Mm-hmm. And he's green and his arms are doing a big loopy, rubbery, stretchy outy thing. And he's got big swirly, supersonic chameleon eyes and his lips are gibbering. I wanted to say about pastels that being a Canadian with no access to such things except we do have like specialty British sweet shops that will pop up here and there. But I've never had pastels and I don't know what to imagine pastels is tasting like but that makes them all the more elusive and, and like <laughs> like that makes that makes me want them but so what i when i was imagining them i thought that adrian mole ate fruit pastels and that was the first place i'd heard them adrian mole didn't eat fruit pastels he ate opal fruits mm. A very different Completely thing. Completely different. And so I googled what opal fruits were. I remember looking in sweet shops for opal fruits being like, oh, that's what Adrian Mole eats, so I want to have that. I just realized, because I googled it, that's just Starburst. I had just that. Starburst, <laughs> pal, yep. Yeah. I, yep. <laughs> they were with me all along. They changed yep. the name somewhere along the way. Dave, do you know the precise year? It seems like the sort of thing you'd have outrage about <laughs> to maybe remember when they changed it. They were opal fruits when I was at primary school. I can say that much. And I think they changed shortly thereafter. So post night. So in this era, in the STC era, they have done it. Because we just have to get more homogenous. Yep. Get all the branding lined up across the world. It doesn't mm. help that when Opal Fruits changed into Starbursts, they also did change the formula for a couple of the flavours and it was worse. Didn't happen, mate. Imaginary. Yeah, it did. Didn't happen. Don't believe it. Did they really? Or is this yeah. the McDonald's thing, Dave, where it tastes so good in your memory because that was the perfect 90s taste? That's what I'm going to blame. That's very possible, although I'm not talking about, like, you know, oh, I had one recently and it's not as nice. I mean, when they changed, I remember the pink flavor had changed from a light pink to a quite nasty sort of purpley dark pink, and I didn't like it. Now, it could certainly be that the flavor was exactly the same and it was the color I didn't like. <laughs> could just be the name. Yeah, I remember they changed the packaging for my favorite popcorn <laughs> a while back and i was like no they've ruined it it tastes different now and then a while later i was like nah they didn't <laughs> it was a bit placebo-y like i said on the show before about how i was convinced the blue smarties were rotten wouldn't <laughs> you know, children are stupid <laughs> refuse We're back! We're back to the review zone! Not nice. use this jingle in a little while. And it's just nice that it's here in the centre pages instead of a crappy yeah. bad next pin-up. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right! We're Did you notice, by the way, it's ads on uh, both of the reversing pages. <gasps> oh. For, like, and, and the issue where it's not something you're meant to pull out as a pin-up, 
This is yeah. when they finally put the ads on the on the back pages <laughs> so that you could, if you were possessed, if the devil yeah. took you and you wanted to put the ball hog so pin up on your wall. so excited about Toy Story that you wanted to even put reviews of the Mega Drive game up. You can do it, because that's what this is. Toy Story on the Mega Drive, written by Chris Jones. Yes, the one staffer they have left, Chris Jones, whose job it is to do the review zone and the uh, queue zone. He's just the one bloke, the one holdout. The Takushis, the Gibbonses, the Protzes, the Fromers, they're all things of the past now. <laughs> what is the reputation of this game? Do people like it? Do people hate it? I don't know. I remember enjoying it. Yeah. For some reason, I've got the impression that people don't like it, but when I've been looking at it to get ready for this, it actually looks quite good. The problem is, so it's a Donkey Kong country, and they've yeah. taken uh, run cycles that I'm guessing the people at Pixar made for them specially because they look like they are actually Toy Story animation, and it's all done to look 3D. The, the, the idea, Well, in fact, I'll, t- I'll tell you what exactly the idea is. Because the bloke who made this game has done quite a few videos about it. Um, he, because he happens to also be the bloke who did Sonic 3D. Who no. has a, I think it's called Game Hut YouTube channel, where he's very open about how these games were programmed and how he did all the tricks to make them do funny things. And um, he says that the origin of this game is that he just played Clockwork Knight on the Saturn. Which is basically exactly this. That is a Donkey Kong Country, I assume. I don't know. Maybe it's an actual 3D generated game on the Saturn. I don't know. But it, it has the look of a Donkey Kong Country. And you are a little toy man walking around on a table with, you know, letter blocks around you and other toy paraphernalia. And this guy's gone, well, that's what we need to do for Toy Story, but I can get it to work on a Mega Drive. Because he's the sort of demo scene guy who will get things to happen on Mega Drives that people don't think even now Mega Drives can do and they're like how'd you do that apparently even just the the title screen of this was like somehow using trickery to display impossible images the Mega Drive can't do and the the music was literally Amiga music but playing out of a Mega Drive somehow and things like that and it's mostly a platformer where you are Woody running through you know the bedroom well running through the plot of the game you know, so you do the bedroom, you do Sid's house, you do Pizza Planet. That's the thing. It runs extremely through. They constantly come up with ways, more even than things like Aladdin did. They come up with ways to make scenes from the film into levels of the game. And in something like Aladdin, you know, they're like, oh, well, now he gets his lamp, so here's a scene in the lamp. And now he's in the, the Cave of Wonders, so here's a, here's a, he does a chase scene on the hmm. carpet, so we'll have that. In this, they kind of go like, all right... So the bit where Woody uses the RC car to knock the thing round and it pushes Buzz out the window, we're going to interpret that as a Micro Machines level, where you're playing uh, Micro Machines. Literally just a Micro Machines yeah. level, not even On a, a Micro table. Machines alike. A proper, the car is too small for yep. the world, the scale is yep. off, little run around a macro-sized desktop. Yeah. The obstacles are biscuits and dice and books and things like that, and what you're doing is you're trying to run into Buzz Lightyear and just <laughs> punt him up into the air. It's really funny. Um, uh, it says another le- racing level is obviously inspired by Super Mario Kart. Don't necessarily remember that, but I assume it uh, just means it's a head-on racing Yes, thing. you would think so, although I haven't... I I didn't happen to see that when I was looking at clips of this game. I've I've seen no such level, but I'll have to trust them that it's there. And um, uh, we also get the confirmation Cell was right last issue when she was talking about how there was a Doom style level in the yes. game as well. Yes, and that's when you're in. I think you're exploring the machine that the aliens are trapped in. Ah, uh, right, trapped, right. You, you know the claw. Mm-hmm. You're yes, you're going through corridors of Doom, and it's just so this guy can flex that he can do Doom at the drop <laughs> of a hat. Like oh yeah, I can do that. Oh yeah, I can do that. 
as a result of this approach, there's some odd stuff. Like, there is a boss level quite early on in the game, which is just Woody... And this is not in the film. Although, okay, Woody is having a nightmare. And Mm. the nightmare is that a great big glow-in-the-dark buzz is shooting at him. And you have to like just fight him like a boss. It's quite eerie. Yes, I remember that level, yes. Yeah. There's a picture of it up there in the top right of this uh, double-page spread. Now, I wonder if that was anything to do with... There was going to be, originally, a Woody's Nightmare scene in Toy Story 1, but they didn't do it. There, yeah. And they did it in Toy Story 2. So I'm guessing that maybe there was a big scary glow-in-the-dark buzz in that, in the original version, and they thought, well, no, that's too scary. And maybe this guy, you know, it was in the notes, so he put it in the game. Yeah. Well, Possible, it, it happens, doesn't it? So yeah, Toy Story game... Looks quite interesting to me. I remember going to see Toy Story at the cinema. Yeah. And my mum was bemused that I, as a mature adult, 13-year-old at this point, mm-hmm. was going to do such a thing. And it was like, but it's a landmark of animation and cinema, etc., oh. etc. Et I had yet to start putting on airs. I was still just watching children's films, absolutely no problem. Mum came uh, with us to it, and I think she, she was won over very quickly. And she said exactly when it was. She thought it was going to be, you know noisy and obnoxious and stupid and bad you watch (laughs) and but it was the moment in you've got a friend in me in like the opening scene where they get in a spinning round chair and the moment where mum was like oh wait this is good was when the camera is like it's from woody's eyes essentially and you're seeing his legs spread out in front of him, buffeted about as the chair that him and Andy are in spins around, or just him or something. I think Andy puts him in the chair and spins it around. And what impressed Mum was that you could see the reflection of the room spinning around in his shoes, and you could see the light going past, and it was all correct. And she was like, wait, this is good. (laughs) (laughs) I like that in the review, by the way, he says that the bit where the dog is chasing you, it looks like footage of a real dog. Mm. That's lovely. It's um, that famously one like of the, the, the most yeah. most mock-ed parts of Toy Story. Now, yeah. looking back on it, was how weird that dog looked. <laughs> I'll tell you why, though. The main reason the dog looked weird was because of its eyes, and here we just have a side-on, you can't really see That's its true, eyes. That's so true, actually. Yes, it does help, yeah. doesn't it? You can see it yeah. up there in the top. The raves for the game are that it has great graphics, animation, and gameplay, but the graves are that there's a lot of similarity between the levels, and it's quite easy. I must give it another play. Force. The Curse of Zeon, Part 4, written by Nigel Kitching, art by Martin Griffiths, colours by Gina Hart, letters this issue by Steve Potter. Max's spirit emerges from his sword once more and heals Bowie's gunshot wound, in the process transforming the youth's body into that of a muscular hero at last, able to lift the ancient sword. Bowie defeats Baron Kadavar in battle and learns of the Zeonite's plan to use the nuclear bomb to free Zeon from the Abyss. And the countdown has already begun. You don't happen to know anything about Shining Force the game, do you, Ewan? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we must try and find someone who's a big Shining... Well, who's a medium Shining Force fan. <laughs> no, I don't <laughs> want to can... talk to a big Shining Force fan. <laughs> oh, that feels exhausting to me. I don't know. Well, uh, actually, so in the Game Gear game... Which, uh, the series has to... felt like where, where it sets up the old Shining Force that was the grandparents or the parents or whatever of yeah. the, the current Shining Force that are the heroes of this. It feels very 
uh, 2010s reboot of an 80s property. <laughs> it does a bit, yeah. But still going through all those classic 80s movie kids adventure fantasy tropes. Like, like it, they don't say that his grandfather's spirit merges with him. No. But I'm pretty sure that's what happened there. Yeah, know? he's sort of resurrecting the old Max, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. They've ducked and dodged around the concept of this old guy dying a few times yeah. now. And we, we want, I guess uh, we want him to die. <laughs> no, I mean, he is dead, isn't he? I mean, that's He's what happened. The last time we saw him was the sword was coming down on him and then the scene cut away. Exactly, then, now he's But as ghost. we noted at the time, they played it so vague that it could have just been like communicating through a hologram projector yeah. in the sword. But uh, and, and when his spirit comes floating up out of the sword, uh, Taya says here in this issue, he's contacting us through the sword again. You know, mm. And I'm like... No. But then he leans over Bowie and does ghosty woo-woo fingers and heals his gunshot wound. And yeah, I think, you know, probably, yeah, combines with him, fuses with him, his heroic spirit empowering his nephew, grandson, whatever he is. (laughs) I found page three a bit odd. Cadaver just sort of turns up. Him and Bowie have a whole page of fight. And then in the last panel of that fight, Cadaver goes, what? I thought you were beaten. What does that mean? Like... It's yeah, like he's I, just noticed that he's not dead after a whole fight with him. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like maybe he's supposed to... Maybe, see, in the third to last panel there, he, he does hit him and he sends him reeling back and goes, um, and then, like, maybe the idea was supposed to be that then he was coming down towards him oh, with the sword yes. and Bowie raised the sword to block it, but it really looks like Bowie is actually charging forward into him again. Oh, yes, it yeah. does. So is the, is the story here meant to be that... He's basically tricking him into monologuing by appearing to be beaten. And then in the last panel he goes, thanks, now you've told us your plan. I think so, but it doesn't come across very clearly. No, not really. Not least of all because he never really appears to be beaten. No. And there is no dramatic moment where he reveals that he is not beaten. It's just it's no. just another panel in the uh, in the fight. I do like the panel then on the fourth page where Bowie, big, giant leaps at him and shatters yeah. his sword. like that. That's a nice panel, like that. Big attack. Yep. <laughs> Kadavar begs him to kill him, grant me a warrior's death, and then they're like, ah, we heroes don't go in for that. But then I don't I don't know how well that is followed up by saying, if I ever see your face again, I'll forget yeah. that we're supposed to be the good guys. And do what? Kill him. You just said you don't yeah. you're not gonna kill him. What are you gonna do? Like So that's a bit of a muddle. But the overall thing in this episode that I just I think is really good is that even the baddies haven't figured out what a nuclear bomb is going to do. They yeah. reckon it's a big spell that's going to help them break the seal, so they're like yeah, they just standing next to it. Ancient magic. Yeah. yeah, so they're standing next to it going like, this will be good, I'm about to set this nuke off. <laughs> and that's what the ticking clock is. It's not that they're going to do a nuke on other people. They have no idea what it's going to do and how devastating it's going to be. And they're like, yeah, this will be good. <laughs> it's a metaphor. <laughs> The sorcery begins. First, the sacred ritual the ancient texts call Countdown. Soon we will witness the casting of the spell known as Detonation. And then Click pushes the button for a 99 second countdown. See how that pans out. Then you get back there in 99 seconds. Isn't there even a bit somewhere else in it where they say, like, the ancient magic of nuclear explosion? Yeah, yeah, that's what Kadavar says. Astounding magical power contained within it called nuclear explosion. Yeah, they don't really know what they've got, and I like that. Uh, Yeah, it's it's really cool. I mean, do you know what I mean? It's like this fusion where these people from this fantasy land have found our stuff and they just don't know what it is but they're gonna set it off yeah 
Yeah, it is that element to it that makes it work. Max does know what a pistol is, though. You see that there at yeah. the very start. Uh, Taya says, a Xeonite with an exploding wand has hurt Boe, and Max mm. says, wand? Oh, you mean a pistol? Yes, those are very dangerous things. So a less elegant weapons. <laughs> yes, for a more civilized time. <laughs> I like the generational divide of you guys doing the original trilogy line and me doing the prequel line. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there was a vibe to some of this where it felt a bit like an 80s Dungeons & Dragons cartoon yeah. or like the, like the Legend of Zelda cartoon mm-hmm. where it's like not proper high fantasy but the 80s cartoon version of high fantasy yeah but then to have the subversion of that where suddenly there are all these unsettlingly realistic military weapons and also like the main character gets shot and he's lying on the ground shot and they're like can you heal him and they're like no he's been (laughs) shot with a gun (laughs) (laughs) and not to diminish the strip but that's what makes it good yeah (laughs) Yeah. Or at least in mine and Dave's case, like that's what we've been engaged by. All yeah, that stuff. Absolutely. Because yeah. that's the kind of stuff that couldn't happen in an eighties cartoon. But you know, that that comparison of the nineteen eighties cartoon version of high fantasy, that's exactly what this is, and I never really I don't think we've described it. That subversion of it does step it up a bit where like in one of those cartoons you'd never have a character shot with a gun and lying on the ground dying of a gun wound. This is the kind of story yeah. that can only really exist for children in this kind of comic. So it's all leading up to this big countdown. How do we end this segment? Uh, is a countdown? Is there any UK countdown joke that will make all the UK listeners go, Oh, countdown, I know countdown. <laughs> yeah, that's not bad. Next issue, The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> Bazinga. It's uh, Micro Machines 96 special. Yep. Very strange opening to this one. Yeah, what the hell? James Histead of Alton in Hampshire sure is a massive Micro Machines fan. And why not? The game that brought us cool cars racing around beaches and picnic tables definitely puts the play in playability. No explanation for why James Histead is name-checked here? Nope. Doesn't say that he's sent anything in, doesn't say he's requested anything. No, nope. he just exists. Nobody else is named Jake. He hasn't been shutting up about it. He's a menace. <laughs> he's going from house to house saying, Have you heard the good news about micro machines? Oh yeah, maybe it was yeah, maybe this is a pop culture reference and he was in the news as being a big micro machines fan who won't shut up about it. <laughs> but uh, not much to actually chat about it as far as the codes go. No, of course not. There's just some codes that give you some new tracks. Uh, one of which is Alki. Alki, Alki. Yeah, but I, I, I was more amused by the other options. When entering your driver's name, try typing in the words Gufton, Horden, or Nodrog, and they sound like they would be great insulting nicknames for your mate Gordon. <laughs> All right, Gufton. Gufton. All right, Hordon. <laughs> All right, Nodrog. <laughs> I guess Gordon must have made this. And then the rest of it is actual tips, like, you know, press the button on the middle boop of the countdown before the race, things like that, yeah. like in Mario Kart. Boop the middle beeper to blop your best block. <laughs> yeah, that's what you got to do. That's what pro gamers do. Next issue, Super Skid Marks and Street Racer. So there's a racing theme at work that's continuing. Mm. I don't remember if I ever played Micro Machines 96. 
I know I played some of the Micro Machines games, but I feel like I didn't get as far as Micro Machines 96. I know I played the one that had Violet Berlin in it, but I don't know if that was this one or not. As long as you played that, it's fine, isn't it? Yeah, that's the important one, yeah. But as ever, whenever the Q-Zone lets us down with content, we <laughs> like to turn to the... Diary Zone! I have a bad case of diary. I have a bad case of diary. Yeah, I that's right. It says a diary. There's, I'm <laughs> particularly pleased with that jingle. <laughs> it makes me laugh every time. <laughs> yeah, this is the section where I take you back in time with me to the time this issue came out, because I was keeping a quite extensive diary, and we can find out exactly what it was like to be a child in the 90s at that exact time. And I can tell you that at this time, we've got a four-day weekend coming up. Oh, the best kind of weekend. Very, very, very exciting. Day off Friday, day off Monday. The four-day weekend starts here on Thursday, the 2nd of May. I'm simply uh, looking forward to it here on the Thursday. Four-day weekend starts here. We've renamed it all. Uh, it doesn't say who we is, um, but here's what we've named it. So tomorrow, which of course is Friday, we've renamed that Saturday. Makes sense, right? Okay. Because that's the first day of the weekend. It's four-day weekend. The day after that is called Smart Day. Smart it's, day. It's a smart day. We'll bring it out in March and we'll call it Saturday 2. <laughs> Thank you for that, Chris. That was just for me. Um, the day after that is Cool Day. <laughs> and the day after that, which if you're keeping up is really Monday, Monday that's called Sunday. <laughs> right, okay. We've all had a rough few years. I think we should petition to add a cool day to the week just because it would cheer us all up immensely. <laughs> Uh, what I did on that Thursday, by the way, is I started reading Zack Strikes Back, which is a Saved by the Bell tie-in novel. I was going to say, I assume a Saved by the Bell related publication. So Saturday then, the 3rd of May, which, remember, is really Friday. <laughs> and I've, But I've written it down here as Saturday, the 3rd of May, 96. Uh, I recorded a tape with Rick. That's uh, Richard Harris, who wrote in a few issues ago. Oh, yes. Smart day, the 4th of May, 1996. I went to... Now, right, now, I'm going to bring it down here and stop giggling, because this was a genuinely quite traumatic day. A bad thing happened on this day. Oh, genuinely, okay. not joking, I was witness to a bad thing. Well, this isn't going in. And he's covered, his face is covered in... So that's, that's what happened on Smart Day. <laughs> nothing smart about that. Cool Day, the 5th of May. Nothing. Uh, my friend came and gave me an Amiga mod, two new exotic rippers. That's what you use to grab music off games. And he showed me a Settler's Save Game editor. And then, mm. Tuesday. Chris, remember this. Tuesday, the 7th of May, 1996. Arg! Real monster. Sats tomorrow. Sats? Yeah, did you not have the SATs in Ireland? Oh no, the SATs? Yeah, these were our end of big school tests that had no bearing on anything. I think they were tests to judge the school rather than the children. But The test I would have had that year would have been the junior certificate, it was called. Mm. I don't even know mm. if that still exists anymore. Okay, so I guess yeah, I would have been doing those too. I have no memory at all of any significance. <laughs> It just says, I stopped writing in my diary for several days because I'm revising. Do you know what I mean? I've got... Oh, I, yeah, I, rem I remember this. It was like when you did your GCSEs. It was like, oh, school's ruined now. Now we have to... It's like, imagine if you were told, it's, oh, it's PE all day for a week. No, it's <laughs> tests all day. Tests. Silent tests. Tests where you have to behave. And, uh, and it just says the next few days are like, Wednesday the 8th, 
English Comprehension SATs. Thursday the 9th, English Romeo and Juliet SATs plus extension. Don't know what that is. Well, anyway, we end on a cliffhanger because on Friday the 10th of May, it says maths SATs and mum and dad go on holiday. Oh, that's a funny time to book your holiday, isn't it? Just left you on your own. Well, they didn't want the grief of the exams, did they? Apparently not, no. maths all up around the house. I couldn't stick it. Yeah, that's an unusual... They won't have known that was what it was. That They, they won't have... They would never have deliberately gone like, oh, you've got you've got serious school to do. We're off. <laughs> but yes, you're about to see me sulking around in a house with my grandparents next fortnight. Uh, be a good reason to get the huff on. Exam. Scott, isn't one of the best things about being an adult never having to do an exam ever I again? Know. Isn't it brilliant? I know. Although there's the underlying feeling that if you were just prepared to do exams again, then you'd be more qualified and life would be better. Oh, God, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I won't trade that for the security of never having to do an exam again. <laughs> Me and you, Dave, have had the conversation about how I had the right brain for school, and so I was, mm. I got good grades. and like I didn't enjoy it, but I was able to do it. Mm. And I, I now recognize that as like not a thing that everybody had and was kind of a privilege that I had. But so I'm trying to disassemble thinking back to exams and being like, I kind of liked exams. Really? Well, I don't think I ever really studied that much. (laughs) What I remember exams as being is like, you go to school and you do a test and it is like a big test that everybody's taking seriously. But it's also Uh just one test that takes an hour and you're in like a weird room that's different and kind of exciting. And then the rest of the day, you can just hang out with your friends because there aren't other classes going on when you've got exams. There is that. I did like that part of it. Yeah. I see. I don't remember that happening with the SATs. I do remember it happening with the GCSEs because you didn't even have to be at school. You could be at home revising, and I was. Yeah, you remember them days? Yeah. Well, I say revising. I was making covers of Dizzy Music on my Amiga, but you know what I mean. I discovered the American soap opera Sunset Beach at that point <laughs> in my life. <laughs> Yeah, I'm at university right now, and they call our March break uh, study break, and I'm like, oh yeah, study break. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be hard at work studying yeah, this yeah. Spider-Man trade paperback. <laughs> Sonic's World: Hidden Danger Part One, written by Lou Stringer, art by Nigel Kitching, colors by Steve White, and letters by Ella Fell. Robotnik unleashes a robot hidden from the naked eye by a cloaking device upon the tropical jungle zone. And when Sonic and Tails come to investigate, Sonic is knocked out for the count, leaving Tails to face the invisible evil alone. This is... good. I mean, it's fine. I was going to say fine, but it's not just fine. Like, it's perfectly entertaining. It's made better by the fact that this is Nigel drawing it. In it, though. I mean, I have said not nearly enough times yet, because I think he's only drawn one or two at this point. How Mm. much I love... Nigel Kitching's renderings of Sonic characters. They're so little and round, and I just want to pick them up and squeeze them and squeeze them and squeeze them and love them and pet them and hug them, George. I love the little, the little fraggly looking one that's just far away in the background and all grayed out underneath the hidden danger square on the first page. <laughs> fraggly. Oh yeah, God, that is fraggly. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what, what animals are. It's just a little guy. <laughs> that is the kind of animal that he is. He's just a little guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, this is... Uh, yes, Nigel's had the opportunity here to draw 
critters. And he's got this little grinning warthog guy in the first panel. <laughs> he's having a lot of fun. Oh, and then if you turn the page, there's the same warthog looking really grumpy. <laughs> I was going straight to, and then a little grumpy. Oh, it's the same guy. Oh, that very cartoony monkey in the foreground with like the one eye that's like got the extra circle around the pupil. The cartoon way of drawing oh, yeah. The Nigel Kitching trademark almost. He does that one so yeah. often. What he's done here is he's got multiple ways of drawing nothing in a way that doesn't look like many hands. It doesn't look bad, it looks good. I mean, the premise of this strip is they're under attack from nothing. Nobody can see what it is. Yeah, an invisible force. But it's not just like things are knocked aside by an empty outline or anything like that. It's big, huge, smashing... Like this panel on the fourth page when Sonic and Tails get hit by it. And it's yeah. just, it's literally two-thirds of the entire page, giant square panel of them and the forest entirely in silhouette as bits go flying everywhere. Really yeah. nice panel. Yeah, that's great. Does sort of flag up how little the strip has going on in it, that they can give that amount of time over to it. There's a bit of a fillery vibe off this. And the fact that it's the second time it's happened. Like on page one, yeah. all right, not a silhouette, but not there's quite another as panel. large, but almost as large a panel, yeah. Of the debris of something smashing with the and he's done a kind of a, a he's painted a gradient which is not easy to do on paper with paint when you've got to paint around other shapes on the page um oh well he won't have done that, that it's coloring by steve white mm. which is a gradient of light in the middle and color around the edge so that's how that's depicted and all the bits and and yes that happens twice in the comic but it's brilliant both times i had a little chuckle when Robotnik says, This new weapon is unbeatable, unlike the skunk we unleashed on the underground zone peasants. <laughs> Referring back to the Odor Zone one-shot from a while back. Yes. Uh, it was actually called the Odor Zone, not the Underground Zone, but never mind. Which, you know, I, I sort of did a, a bit of a double-take, because we've caught Stringer referring back to his earlier stories about new and made-up zones, like the Misery Zone, or the yes. uh, Frozen Zone, or the Pleasant Zone, and things like that. But here he's referring back to um, yeah, a Mark Miller strip. So mm. then when Grimer follows that up by saying, hey, we have advanced so far since then, <laughs> I do wonder if there's a slightly subtle dig uh, yes. The digging there. out of yes. an old strip, script, perhaps, yeah. For, we have definitely advanced so far <laughs> since <laughs> The Odor Zone was written. I liked as a... As a uh, what, what's the equivalent of artist for the cartoon shows? A Jalilist? <laughs> I, I appreciate it. Oh, hang, no, hang on, hang on, hang on. We gotta brainstorm this. <laughs> you got adventures, you got Satam. You could be a son of Satam. Oh, I don't like Satam. I was always Satam. I know, I agree, but you have to yeah. go for the lowest common denominator. Underground's the best one. <laughs> yeah. I, I got it. Oh. A dickhead. <laughs> 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 no, because they're all made by Deke. So, to go back to whatever it was you were actually trying to say about them, <laughs> yeah, is there's this panel right after the big explosion silhouettes where he lands on the ground and says a almost but not quite Jaleel White oh, said yeah. line. Ouch! This is way too uncool. Yeah. yeah, sometimes Stringer does deliver lines that do feel a bit. I was going to say adventuresy, but Jaleeli is probably the best way of putting it. What about this bit right after that, though? Sonic susses out that it's a robot with a cloaking device. Tails says, oh, what? A cloaking device turns the robot invisible. Robotnik's used it a little before, but only with temporary results. And the footnote says, yeah. towards the end of Sonic 3, for example, Megadroid. What is he talking about? 
Oh, I'm so glad that stumped you. I have no idea. I downloaded Sonic to. Three and played the launch base zone just to check and see what I wasn't remembering. <laughs> but no, there's nothing in there. Could he have misinterpreted the bit like at the beginning of Sonic Three, where the Eggmobile or whatever that you're jumping at is going behind, behind the, the waterfall and then back? When out? I was trying to picture this, I could see something going like and disappearing, and I, and I'm, I think that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. But is there a boss I'm not remembering that I can't think this of is in and out? No. And anyway, you can't say that. You can't say towards the end of Sonic 3 because we saw Sonic 3 unfold in the pages of this comic. So you can't <laughs> refer to the video game. It doesn't count. It doesn't work that way. Oh, that's fine by me. I'm, I'm happy with you that. You can count the first two video games because they happened off panel before the comic began. No, I'm happy with that because Sonic 3 is just the extended version of what we saw in the comic. You know, that's just the, the extra. Yeah. You get to see it from a different perspective. <laughs> Either way, no, it doesn't. I mean, the only thing I can think of is like the neutrons from Sonic One. Yeah, they do, but that's because they're chameleons and they disguise themselves. There must be something, colors, but I don't but know that what he's to be so about. specific. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'm confused. Unless they meant to say Sonic 2, but I can't think of anything from Sonic 2 either. I've just had a boop-dee-boop-dee-boop-boop-boop because nope. there's two different takes on Sonic's eyelids, like mm. two, a page apart. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Their skin color on this penultimate page and blue on the final page. Yeah. Hang on. Who colored that issue where they were the heinous <laughs> mixture of flesh and blue before? Ooh. Mm. Because it's the yeah. same sort of vibe. Yeah, Mission to the Metro. It was, yes. Steve White did color that issue. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, page four of the strip. They are flesh colored, but they have a kind of a blue shading around the edges. Yeah. Yeah, but that's fine. You can shade with blue whenever you want. But it reminds me of a couple of issues ago when Steve White colored that Corona, and they were that hideous blue and flesh. (laughs) To me, what the difference is, is that here we've got uh, the eyelids have been fully colored in the skin color. And then blue has been used on top of that as shading. Whereas in that issue, the blue was used without anything underneath it. And you had those two separated areas. Mm. It also looks like it could, instead of blue, be white. Like when sometimes they'll do it where his eyes are white and it's yeah. just blinking yeah, yeah. with his pupils. Well, get a grip. <laughs> figure, figure it out, Steve. <laughs> Pick one. <laughs> Next issue, The Robot Revealed. Yes. Mm. I get the impression this will not be a very interesting reveal. <laughs> this seems a little throwaway-ish. It's perfectly, you know, it's fine. And it puts me in mind of the Metamorphia two-parter in Sonic's world before. The pacing of that was wobbly, where we got the first page establishing that Tonic was really a robotic plant already yeah. anyway. So the idea of him secretly turning out to be someone else at the end of the story was didn't really come as a surprise. Whereas this one is at least leading with the mystery. You don't see what this is, and I guess we'll see it next issue. I don't mm. know, I don't remember. We'll see how the story goes. Oh yeah, one thing bears mm-hmm. pointing out. So this is a Sonic's world that is unapologetically now just another Sonic strip. Yeah. And is that the first one, really, where they've just genuinely just made Sonic's world another Sonic strip? It could be, but you know what? We ought to hold on to that and find out who the reveal is. Because if it's Brutus... That's... Well, it's not going to be Brutus, because Robotnik sent it. Well, we assume so. Do we know that Robotnik sent Oh, yeah, we do. There he yeah, is. Yeah, he's in yep. there. Yeah, there's the whole thing with him and Grimer. Yep, sorry. Good work, Grimer. Your new creation is most effective. Yep, yep, yep. You could... Yep, okay. <laughs> oh, actually, hang on. That is a really good f- joke. 
What? They're watching the devastation of the tropical jungle zone. Good work, Grimer. Your new creation is most effective. <laughs> you could say it's a, a smash hit, sir. Only if I get desperate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, love that. Whoever it turns out to be, whatever this new robot is, may steal the show to the point where it's a lesser Sonic story by its presence, but I doubt it. And it's another Sonic and Tails story, like you pointed out earlier. Yes. So we've got two of them in the one issue. It is nice to have that, but I am distracted by the realisation that this is... I think this is the first Sonic's world to truly just be another Sonic story. Because remember, they did uh, Odor Zone, and it was just yeah. an extra Sonic story. Yeah. It wasn't a Sonic's world. Because remember, we thought that that Metamorphia story was where this started. But then, well, as you say, it turned out in the second part to really be... A Metamorphia mm. story. Yeah. So I suppose there is room that this one may turn around yet, and I guess that is what I'll be waiting to see next issue. Speedlines! Speedlines! Uh, we've got the usual two pictures, three letters here. Starting off uh, with a picture from Alison Headley, a name that I feel like I recognise. Is it because last time we said that about it? I don't know, it's a very familiar sound to name, right? Yeah, mm -hmm. no way. Yeah, also a very familiar picture. Not the picture itself, what mm -hmm. it's doing feels like it's based on something. It's a picture of Amy, and she's got big, mad, crazy, spiral, supersonic eyes, and mm -hmm. a big, wild grin, huge mouth of wonky teeth, yeah. and she's wearing a, a shirt, a top, with a big exclamation mark on it, and a skirt. Such as yeah. you would use to uh, hit over the head of a pirate. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a very Earthworm Jim sort of vibe about it. Oh yeah, it does actually, yeah. It puts me in mind of something. It's gonna annoy me. Is this a child going, what if Amy got turned super? She's got the swirly eyes. She's got the... Uh, her nose is purple, which that's not a supersonic <laughs> thing, but it's just different, you know. Because this is the era where we've just seen what super tails and super knuckles look like, so why not super Amy? This could be an example of that. She could get an exclamation mark on her top if you think of supersonic as being like the mask <laughs> or something. <laughs> what, like the heart changes into the exclamation mm, mark? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of like that, actually. <laughs> I don't think it is, because it just puts me in mind of something so much. But I can't tell you what right. it is. It's going to bug me. A very uninspired caption STC have slapped on it too, which is... Amy. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! Look out for her in Next Issue Sonic Story. Wow! They've never delved that deep before. We've never had such a bad caption as that. <laughs> yeah. Not even just making it, you know, watch out for Amy in Next yeah, Issue yeah, exactly. Sonic Story or anything. It's Amy, open Amy. brackets... Look out for her in next issue Sonic Story. Close brackets. No full stop. No exclamation mark. Okay. Um, change of chart. Dear Megadroid, why don't you show more than four Sega machines in the charts? How about the Saturn? Says Jamie McTulloch Gare from Stoke-on-Trent. Yeah, we're very much on the same wavelength. We've been saying this for A ages. A lad after our own heart. Yeah, or exclamation marks depending on our mood. <laughs> Check out the new charts in the control zone, Jamie Megadroid says. Compiled by Chart Track, it now includes the top 10 Saturn games. And I'm comfortable admitting that this was when I noticed that. I had not oh, noticed it. Oh, you hadn't even. You, no, you gloss I, over the charts so much. Yeah, no, I, I've been cares? watching out for it <laughs> since the redesign. Eyes <laughs> like a hawk, you. Yeah, so I had to. I, I gasped. I had to turn back to the front cover, and yeah, sure enough. Uh, microchip off the old block is the second mm. letter from Stuart Beck in Grantham, who writes in to say that he thinks Zinc the robot in Shining Force bears a remarkable resemblance to Megadroid's yes. old self. Is he related to you by any chance? Once again, on our exact wavelength, we've yeah. said just the same thing. Mm. 
Less of the old self, if you don't mind, Stu, says Megadroid. You humes can't tell one robot from another, but may I remind you that I am truly unique. Dear Megadroid, Dr. No. Shadushankara, Dr. No. Yeah, go ahead. Damn. <laughs> I, re- I regret this immediately. <laughs> Damn, Megadroid. I think it's about time that Dr. Robotnik... That's I, it's Sean Connery as Robotnik. I think it's about time that Dr. Robotnik did something about his weight. Maybe if you told him he was beginning to look as fat as Mr. Blobby. I forgot this was the Mr. Blobby one. It might spur him on to refuse some food. Jack Davis, Worthing, West Sussex. Mega Drive owner. Very rude. A few too many fat-shaming jokes yeah. in this issue mm. for my tastes. Because yeah, Sonic yeah, yeah. has a go at him in both the Sonic strip and the Sonic's world strip. And I know it was the 90s, yeah. and I know he was a very fat character, but... Yes. You know, it's been... Uh, when was the last time you heard a fat joke thrown at Dr. Robotnik? Well, that's the thing. I feel Eggman like he's... Eggman in anything, you know? He's got more going on now than he did. Like, in the early days of STC, that was all he was. Ha <laughs> he's fat. And now he's the dictator of the planet. Like, there's there's more important things. <laughs> well, Sonic's always called him lard belly, you know? Yes. But stuff like walrus chops is fine, because mm. you can shave a moustache, you know? That's, <laughs> that he's, there's nothing shaming or discriminatory about that one. He's not moustache shaming him. And how can you? He's He's got the best one anyone's ever exactly. had. Exactly. Megadroid says, Haven't you noticed him exercising in this issue's fit zone, Jack? He was playing snooker. That's <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah, so he was. The second bit of fan art is from Jonathan Aganian from Warrington in Cheshire, and it's just fan art of Earthworm Jim. Nothing to do with Sonic. Yeah. Just yeah, but that's alright. It's, it's from a Sega game. It's alright. Yeah, oh, it's alright, but it's not Earthworm Jim as anything. It's not Sonic as Earthworm Jim. Nah. That would have been. I would have welcomed that. Sonic in the Earthworm Jim suit, sure. Uh, but no, pretty it's sure just he's just copied it from something. Yep, he's just yep. copied it from something. It's a picture of Jim falling, and he's in in whatever it is he's copied it from. He's holding his gun in a particular way that here makes it look like it's just a bell that he's got. <laughs> yeah, Earthworm Jim prepares for Q Zone action in STC seventy nine. Boy. That's a bit rough, isn't it? Whenever you're actively trailing a Q-Zone two issues away is the most exciting caption you could think to put on the picture. <laughs> Just save that picture for next issue. Not even next issue. Yeah, print two this next away. issue. Yeah. So they must have completely run out of fan art, surely. It's your letters, it's your letters. It's your letters, it's your letters. Well, that is all that's in Speedlines, but we have our own mailbag, which you can get into by sending emails or pictures or recordings to stctpodcast at gmail.com. And here I have an email from Michael. I just like the title. Trash Fire Distractor. And Michael says, Dear Dave and Chris, firstly, apologies for using the artist term trash, but the cadence of it fitted quite well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't really say rubbish fire, can you? You can say bin, bin fire. fire. Yeah. I was having a tough Sunday morning. The world is a mess, so I'm struggling a bit. But no. I was determined to go out for a walk, and I put STCTP on as the thing I would listen to. Back end of number 72, start number 73. Within a minute or two, I was giggling. Then I was laughing out loud. Then the Defenders of the Earth theme was on. <laughs> <laughs> And there was a tiny bit of blue sky amongst all the clouds. That was you. So I thought I would just send you this little note to say thank you. All the best. Michael, STCTP number 59, letter writer. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thanks for that, Michael. That's nice. I tell you, yeah, I listened to that. I had a very similar sort of reaction to that episode when I was listening back to it myself. Mm. I, I mean, I shouldn't have been surprised that Dave put the Defenders of the Earth theme tune in there because you've heard this show. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> we had the whole Mandrake aggression <laughs> in the middle of that. And I did have a good hearty chuckle at that and felt my spirits buoyed even just by listening back to it. This is a, we, we do these things so far in advance. I've already forgotten most of what was in them by the yeah. time the episode comes out. Yeah, it comes with and a nice surprise, Dave's, isn't it? done his editing magic on them as well it's always great to see how they've come out in the end the, the finished product is very different to the three hours that goes oh, into God, recording yeah. it dear stctp as the improbably titled return of chaotics comes to a close i wanted to note a strange pronunciation phenomenon mm-hmm. growing up my friends and i always pronounced it metalix with the stress on the first syllable as in met all sonic when it first showed up and you both said metallics, I was a little thrown, though of course it makes perfect sense to put the stress in as, as in metallic. Yeah. It's the two L's. That's the thing, yeah. yeah. I must have always known it was based on metallic, but I guess having a derivation from metal sonic was more significant to me. I was a boomer from issue number one until, I don't recall, but after 100 and before the reprints. But my memory for any of it is awful and I'm so glad to be taken back in time every fortnight by you two cool humans. <laughs> We are assuredly not cool, but we are <laughs> We are cool. Oh, hell yeah, there we are. That is from Alan Graham, Patreon supporter, Mega Drive 32X, and Saturn owner from Ooh. Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Hey! hey. It's one of us. Formerly Workington, Cumbria. Ah, nice of them to get in there and just cut off our confusion. <laughs> it's like, oh, how were you in Canada? What? <laughs> I wonder if Alan gets the same kick I get out of any time a Canadian appears on a podcast in any form of hey it's us <laughs> okay so that was our mailbag so again it is stct podcast at gmail.com please write in and let us know what you think of the comic of the podcast whatever tell us about your weekend not bothered tell us if you're from canada <laughs> <laughs> well i think that brings us to the end of another issue next issue free transfers no ah! Yes, please. We'll not talk about them now. (laughs) It Um, keeps dumb because we always blow our load too early when it comes to the special gifts. Because the artwork here on the next issue page is literally just a picture of the transfers, which means we have an illustration of the sheet here so we know what they are. We'll be able to talk about them properly next issue where we will also be talking about Sonic in Plasma. Knuckles in Trinket Trek. Sonic's World. Sticky End. Shining Force. Blowout! <laughs> That'll be the final Shining Force. Plus, yeah. Super Skid Marks and a Street Racer Q-Zone. And the Ooze Review. Ooh, the <laughs> coming, ooze review. coming suitably soon after the Super Skid Marks Review. <laughs> oh, no. And the sticky end. Ow! <laughs> <laughs> so, they had a blowout that resulted in some Super Skid Marks. And it oozed out for a sticky end. end. <laughs> <laughs> oh, if you even want to come back for it, it's SDC 78 on sale Saturday the 11th of May 1996 at 1.20, but I don't know now. <laughs> Ewan, how was your experience of A, this podcast, but B, you know, how would you sum up the whole reading experience you've been through in the last four days? Oh, uh, it's been wild. Because what I find is that the comic revealed itself to be such an institution for Brits your age. Mm. 
And, like, yeah. when I was doing that Twitter thread, I got so many people saying, just out of the blue, like, oh, this made me so nostalgic. And it's like, oh, oh that's great. Because that, by the way, that's something I wasn't aware of. Like, I would have always told you, oh, yeah, me and my mates read this comic. But I never knew it was this, like, yeah, same has happened to us. Like, people have come out from all over the woodwork going, like, yeah. We used to read this as well, and it has been, to me, a surprise. I don't know about you, Chris. No, I kept telling you from early on that, that <laughs> there did. were certain stories that the normals remembered because the comic <laughs> was that huge. Yeah, and I, I don't want to blow your trumpet too hard, but <laughs> it does make this podcast feel like a bit of an institution, and it has been an honor to join you on it. But, yeah, reading all of it, it... Um... You wouldn't recommend reading it all in four days. I kind of would, though. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I I definitely got a headache and my eyes started hurting, but I didn't stop enjoying the comic at any point. It does speak to my interest in it being that I I was already a Sonic fan. But it is just a good comic, Mm. and I wouldn't have been able to read that many of a different Sonic comic, I don't think. Yeah, what I'm really glad about this that we're doing... Basically, there's, there's... I'd say three things that make me really glad we're doing it. One, something to do. (laughs) (laughs) Two, it does feel like we are documenting this in a way, because the thing about this particular comic is that I don't think a lot of people would bother reading it now if we weren't doing this. And that's thing three, is that we've got people reading this comic, or rereading it, who wouldn't have done otherwise. And as we go along, we're making what feels like a fairly definitive sort of chronicle of it. And yeah, I'm happy to be doing that. It's nice, isn't it? It's like I always say, there are definitely people on this earth who know a lot more about this comic than we do. Yeah. But they didn't make a podcast. We made a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it's fell to us. (laughs) Like, there are definitely people who could be analyzing this with a, a more clear view to the bigger picture. Mm. But then half the fun, now that we're into the bit that I didn't have as a Mm -hmm. kid, the fact that I now get every two weeks to essentially read a new issue of (laughs) Sonic the comic, and, and, you know, talking about, you know, reading 70 issues in four days or whatever, there is a perverse glee on my part derived from doing one issue every two weeks. Yes. Because it's like, I sort of woke up this morning and I was like, it's Saturday! It's like the comic day! Uh, <laughs> and, that, and that genuinely happened this morning. I'm not even joking. I was like, yeah, a new Sonic day! <laughs> Do you remember when life was good? <laughs> yeah. There is another like element of experiencing it for the first time after listening to 70 episodes of the podcast and then reading 70 comics to catch up. Oh, so you were quite up to date with the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before I- this yeah, project no, again. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, what would you call it? Are the listeners boomers say or do yeah. you have to read the comic to be a boomer? I think you're still boomers. I'm, I'm, I'm an honorary yeah. dickhead slash boomer <laughs> slash Julialist. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't think but, you're an honorary. I think you're a full and true and proper boomer now if you've listened to all the episodes of the show. Yeah. I don't feel like you have to have read the comic to be a boomer. Listen to the show, that's enough. No, although you have. <laughs> so yeah. that's a boomer. Well, I, I like that. <laughs> I, d- I do like the sense of inclusion in that. That is very nice and a very nice element of listening to it like that. Listening to 70 episodes of the podcast and then reading 70 issues of the comic, like because it is the British Sonic comic, there is a lot of emphasis put on the bits of it that are British when Sonic says, like, do me a favor or when when Robotnik regenerates. All those kind of little things that only would happen in a British Sonic comic. Yeah. Those are all true and it, it does lend to the sense of it but it is like i think you could read it 
not knowing that and still have just a really great Sonic comic. It's not so yeah. much that you couldn't read it in American voices, and there is a sense to it where it does feel kind of true to the Sonic that I know. Even though it, this wasn't my Sonic, it does feel like it's another new set of stories in a slightly different world, but still with the characters that I feel like I have so much attachment to. Well, I wish more people shared your enthusiasm for it. <laughs> They're out there. Well, more, okay, more people of of your generation and disposition. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you youngins. Yes, you young people today with your Back complexes when this was all and your beer steers. <laughs> uh, when you're looking for next issue, you will be able to find it most places. Good podcasts are available, but you can also download it directly from our website, which is at stctp. Dot wigglehe.com. Dave always apologizes for the wigglehe. I don't think it's necessary to. It's a fun URL. It's more interesting, isn't it, than stctp.com. We're not going to shell out for that. We need no. money. God, no. You can follow the podcast on Twitter. It is at Sonic Podcast. No more qualification needed than that. It's the Sonic Podcast. And you can follow us on there separately. I am Demon Tomato Dave. I am at Chris McFeeling. I'm Ewan O'Leary on Twitter, but I don't use Twitter much except for that one thread that you could. Oh, yeah. You can go check out if you like, the thread where I was posting screenshots as I was reading through all 77 issues. So you can scroll through and see all of the bits that stuck out to me through the years. Yeah, largely without commentary. It's just, here's a bit. Yeah. They're the bits that speak for themselves because they're a bit weird by themselves. Yeah. Where can the people go if they want to see your other work? Yep, you can go to Brightside Ewan on YouTube. I mostly do video essays about movies and such, but I do do a lot of other weird stuff. I've got some short films on there. I've got some animation type stuff. And I've got a two-hour-long Sonic the Hedgehog audio drama that is a retelling of Dante's Inferno, if you want to listen to that. Robotnik pulls a black handgun and shoots Sonic in the head. Where the hell did you get a gun? From a gun store. Dave is in it portraying STC's Sonic. Chris is in... I think I played an exec or something. Yeah, you're in a office scene where it's the producers of the movie that Sonic is in discussing it. Our uh, former editor, Sam, is the narrator of that, too. Yes. Mm -hmm. And he does such a good job. (laughs) You know that silky, smooth rumble of a voice, you know, so if you want to hear if you've been missing that the last couple of episodes, if you've been missing Sam's interjections and you're looking for more from him, you can go for there for some of that as well. That's called Ogilvy, right? Yep. That's Sonic's name, according to Ken Penders. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to both evoke the strange subcultures of people who take Sonic too seriously and also a character study dark, grim movie like Logan. (laughs) What more can be said? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I put a lot of work into it. I hope you enjoy it if you give it a chance. It is the weirdest thing I could have made, but it's the most work I've ever put into anything, and I'm very proud of it. And all of the voice actors... I got 20 voice actors to get involved, and they did such amazing jobs, and I'm really proud of it. It's good and fascinating and funny and unsettling and weird. And I, I don't know if it would have existed if not for this podcast in a way, because it, like... I, I don't have reasoning there. I just think it, it like this podcast has that kind of motivation of of not being ashamed of being this into Sonic. <laughs> being this embarrassing. <laughs> yeah. And yet Dave yep. won't wear his Sonic uh-huh. mask outside, uh-huh. and yet the people who listen to his work will create two hour 
art piece audio dramas. <laughs> Dave, if they can do that, you can wear your mask outside. You're absolutely right. Yeah, you've given me the confidence I need to do that, Ewan. I will. I will. From someday forth, wear my mask. <laughs> you gotta slowly work your way up to having one of the ones that it just has like Sonic's mouth on it. But if you'd like to keep Dave indoors working hard and keep him from that opportunity for as long as you possibly can, you can support the uh, podcast on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash stctp, where a donation of any amount will get you access to the bonus vault of uh, extra yes. episodes that we do. Not episodes about this comic, because we will never put those behind no. the paywall. No, no. We do uh, episodes looking at the Martin Adams novels. We're currently about halfway through the third one, Sonic and the Silicon Warriors. Then there's this other thing. <laughs> I can say, as a Patreon supporter, it is worth it. You pay $2 Canadian or whatever, and you get this huge backlog of Dave torturing Chris with his fanfiction. It is wonderful. Yes, that's right. The other thing we do is that I read my fanfic that I wrote about Sonic the Hedgehog's death when I was 15 years old from the first draft written when I was, what, 12 years old? And it is... Well, it ain't good. And... What's worse is it thinks it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what is what really finishes Chris off is the uh, the audacity of it, the, the self satisfied nature yeah. of it. Yep. So come and uh, listen to all of that and watch all of that. That's videos mm. and also our uh, what seems to be world exclusive interview with Martin Adams himself, James Wallace on the Patreon. Come and see all of that at patreon.com forward slash stctp. Our opening theme song was called Synchronize. It's by Sonic the Comic, a band, mm. but we. We are Sonic the Comic, a, a podcast. podcast, and we will see you a time next time. <laughs>